two-week notice podcast. I'm sick of smiling, and so is my job. Can't you see my friends drop way down? I'm sick of being someone I'm not. Please get me out of this world. <laughs> yo, 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 what up, everyone? You are listening to the Two Week Notice Podcast. My name is Dana B. I'm your host. Thanks so much for listening. Come on. And today we have an awesome episode for you. So we have Cyrus Baluki. Cyrus plays drums in the legendary band Newfound Glory. Ah, yeah. This was such an honor. And what a great, great dude. What a gentleman. It just confirms what I really already knew, just the leadership, like a band like Newfound Glory or a Dashboard Confessional maybe, or like a Jimmy Eat World. To me, they're really like leaders in the scene and it's important. Like they're really nice, sincere, genuine guys who came up just like you or or me or, or any of us really in the scene. They just happened to get really big, deservingly so. They did a lot of right things, a lot of smart things. And we're, we're going to talk about all this stuff, but just to make a point, like, I don't like the bad energy because, like, they just happened to make killer tunes and whatever, made a lot of smart moves and got everything that that band got, they deserved. And then some. And they give back, too. They they don't need to take a band, like, piebald on tour or invite us to play a show in in, uh, Buffalo like they did in October or invite us on this festival that's coming up in June. They're giving back because they remember when Piebald took them on tour 23 years ago or whatever. It's just respect and they lead by example and um, it's just so important. And it's one of, of many examples that makes me so proud to be a part of this really like elite scene. The one thing I will say, I don't want to get too preachy, but I'm going to step up on my soapbox a little bit because here, here's the deal. Furnace Fest is coming up and we're getting into the swing of things, right? Which is super exciting. Newfound Glory is playing Furnace Fest and they played it way back in the day. Cyrus and I talk about this, but the one thing that bums me out a little bit, and I just want to like make this clear to anyone in the Furnace Fest community who listens to this podcast. And I love you all with all my heart. You know I appreciate you, but this just needs to be said because I do remember last year there were some haters, like when Hatebreed dropped off and like uh, the band For the Best hopped on, people were just talking mad trash. And this is when I first joined the group. Uh, it, it was really taken back by it and it was before I knew how special the group was I was like the new guy and I was like whoa people are talking mad trash and they don't even know these guys and you can give them a chance point being Cyrus I told him about this magical Facebook group of 6,000 amazing humans you know and he was just like oh like what's the deal like do they want us there like the fact that he even has a hint of a thought that maybe newfound glory isn't wanted there that's a little bit of a concern to me. And, and he elaborated a little bit. He was saying like when they played back in the day, they happened to be on a tour with Blink-182 at the time. So they were on a bus as opposed to like a van or whatever. And I don't know, people just like gave him a lot of crap for it, which I'll never fully understand why anyone would waste that energy on like just, you know, it's just bad energy. So like you're gonna hate on this band because they're successful and they work their asses off and got to the point where they get to tour on a bus. Isn't that what every band wants to do, dude? <laughs> like, I know I do. I would love to tour on a bus one day. That's that's like a dream for me. And I'll get there. Maybe with Piebald, maybe with another band. I don't know. Point being, that's I promised him that 
people are so stoked for Newfound Glory to return to Furnace Fest, okay? And I told them how wonderful all of you are. Don't let me down. And you know what? If you don't like Newfound Glory, or any band for that matter that's on a lineup, shut the fuck up. Keep it to yourself. Nobody cares, right? Just put good energy out there. All right, I just wanted to say that because Newfound Glory is legendary. And any band that has the honor of gracing us at Furnace Fest with their presence needs to be respected. And if you don't want to watch them, guess what? There's like three other stages. There's plenty of other things to do. You can go get food. You can go to the bathroom. You can go get a drink. You can go buy merch, whatever. Good energy, right? That's what festivals are all about. Okay, I'll stop. I just needed to say that. Speaking of which, this is good timing because, you know, the two-week notice podcast is proudly brought to you by Furnace Fest. Get used to hearing that, baby. We are locked in and really just ramping up right now. So 96 bands this year. They just announced a bunch of locals. Very exciting. And about maybe one third of the lineup has been announced. Keep an eye on the socials because plenty of more exciting things to come. But for now, what we do know is we got Newfound Glory, Alexis on Fire, The Ghost Inside, Advent, American Nightmare, Anti-Flag. What else? Let me pull up the list here. Elliot, are you kidding me? Come on. Elliot, dude. Misery Signals. uh, Stretch Armstrong's coming back. Strike Anywhere. Quicksand, dude. Lag Wagon. Pedro the Lion. Mom Jeans. Many, many more, and I cannot wait. I know just as much as you people do, so I am just as excited and anticipating these announcements as much as all of us. All right, a couple more things, and we'll get right to the conversation here. Some housekeeping things. Uh, The two-week notice podcast is also brought to you by Plug Your Holes. www.plugyourholes.com is your one-stop shop for plugs, tunnels, gauges, and more. So if you have, you know, piercings and and gauges in your ears and stuff, this is your one-stop shop for all that shit, all right? www.plugyourholes.com. And for a 15% discount at the checkout, type in the code TWNPOD. That's T-W-N-P-O-D. Six letters, smush it all together. 15% discount, and that's www.plugyourholes.com. All right, what else, people? Couple more things. I don't know if I told you all, uh, actually, so I got recruited by the these really, really awesome up-and-coming band for the best. They actually played Furnace Fest last year, and I just booked my flights and hotel to go down to Arlington, Texas. Arlington, Texas, dude, which is right next to Dallas. So I'm flying into Dallas, and uh, I'm going to be on Hype Man, Cowbell, Tambourine Duties, and... Just really good kids. When I say kids, they're 22, and I'm like an old fucking man at this point. But up-and-coming band, really, really love what they're doing. They're working their asses off, and their music is killer. So I'm really stoked to rage with them. And that festival is called the So What Festival, which is put on by Mike Z, who also is, you know, one of the the four horsemen of the Furnace Fest behind-the-scenes crew. So, you know, a lot of little tie-ins there, but... That's going to be rad. Who else is playing the So What Festival? A lot of like, there's like Sum 41, like Simple Plan, Hatebreed, Parkway Drive, Comeback Kid, Emery. I don't have the list, but this is like off the top of my head. I forget. 303, I think. Like two Chains. It's cool. They got three different stages with three different themes. It's like rap, and then there's like a pop stage, and then there's like your hardcore stage. So I cannot wait to go down and just, I don't know maybe drink a beer with Andrew Neufeld and, 
you know, play the cowbell with the for the best dudes and just walk around and whatever. Just be a part of it, man. Festivals are the best. What else? Big shout out to Brian Ward. Brian is a guitar tech for Newfound Glory. He's done guitar tech for Unearth and Coheed and Cambria. And he actually, he and I already recorded a podcast episode. We had a wonderful conversation that's going to come out towards the end of this month to align with some new music he's got coming out. Extra shout out to him because he's the reason that Cyrus and I connected. So thank you, Brian. What else? Uh, If this is your vibe, make sure to hit subscribe so that you do not miss a single episode in the future. I just got confirmation, direct message from the one and only Anthony Green. He's down to come on the podcast. Super exciting. Max Bemis is still coming on. Um, So plenty of exciting things in the future. And make sure you check that backlog because I've had some killer guests in the past. And if you want to be extra helpful, if you have an iPhone in particular, right? Go to the little purple square that says podcasts. It's a podcast app, right? Find my show, Two Week Notice Podcast. First, make sure you're subscribed or following or whatever they call it now. And then scroll all the way down and give me a five-star written review. Thank you all who have done that. I've seen a bunch come in recently. Means the world to me, and it's so helpful. One more thing I got to plug, and it's in the newfound glory world, right? Sticks and Stones Festival at the Worcester Palladium, June 4th. You ready for this? Here's the deal. It's newfound glory, four years strong, Bayside, Piebald, the movie life, be well, a loss for words, and like, I don't know, there's like half a dozen more bands. This is going to be a very, very special show. Tickets are on sale right now. Go to the Newfound Glory website or Google, you know, Sticks and Stones Fest, whatever. Also, this festival is in the midst of a full Newfound Glory headlining tour. And they are going out on the road with Four Year Strong and Be Well. Hey, if any of you people in any of those bands need a cowbell player, I'm your guy. All right, let's get to this episode. Cyrus, respect, brother. Thank you so much. This was really just an honor. Sticks and Stones, baby. 20 years. Come on. Enjoy. Today on the podcast, this is a big honor, longtime fan here. We have Cyrus Baluki, drummer of Newfound Glory. What's up, dude? Not much. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on this podcast. Dude, the pleasure is all mine. Where you at right now? Florida or? Yes, South Florida. I am in Boca Raton, Florida, about 30 miles away from where I grew up. I grew up in Hollywood, Florida. And anybody who knows anything about Newfound Glory will know that I just mentioned two cities that have nothing to do with Newfound Glory because we were all about Coral Springs, Florida, which is kind of in the middle of these two cities I just talked about. So I was the one guy in the band that wasn't from Coral Springs. I'm actually not the original drummer, but that was three months after they started the band 25 years ago that I joined the band. And so I was the one guy that wasn't from Coral Springs, but uh, pretty much had to adopt that as my hometown. But yeah, I'm also the only Newfound Glory member that is currently still living in South Florida. Um, Ian, our bass player, was here up until about uh, three months ago, and now he's living up in Central Florida. So I'm holding it down for everybody. Hold it down, Cyrus. That's rad. Every time I do an interview just for my mental preparation's sake to keep myself sane. I always take notes. Oftentimes I don't even look at them, but for 
Newfound Glory, I mean, it's not even necessary just because I've seen you guys so many times. Big fan. That being said, I, I still do a little, like, I'll check the Wikipedia page. Maybe some things stand out that I just, like, didn't think of or forgot about. And, yeah, 1997. I was like, oh, wow, 25 years. That's yep. pretty cool. It has been 25 years. Uh, yeah. It'll be June, I believe, was the first show. June, like, I'm going to get my dates wrong because I wasn't in the band back then, right? <laughs> it was June something, like June 19th, uh, 1997 was the first show. I ended up catching the guys um, for the first time, probably, I think it was around September or October of that year. They had already obviously played a few shows. Uh, they had recorded a demo. In my opinion, this was like super fast for a local band to get things done. And at the time, I was in a band, you could call it a local band, but it was really just me and my friends in high school. And all we had really managed to do in over a year of being a band was just hang out every weekend, maybe practice at my singer's uh, dad's like furniture warehouse. But I think we played one show or two shows in one full year. And those two shows are back to back. So literally like 360 something days between shows. And here's Newfound Glory playing shows every other weekend, you know, uh, releasing a, or getting ready to release a demo. And I caught wind of that. I heard it because of a friend of mine. And next thing you knew, it, my friend was like, you need to be in this band. And it just worked out that way. So yeah, my first show was our CD release party for that album. It's all about the girls. It was an EP that was December 20th, 1997. So almost 25 years for myself as well. That's wild. So yeah. actually the next time I see you in person will be almost 25 years to that June, you know, 97, whatever, right? Uh, it'll yeah. be like the 25th year anniversary-ish for the band, which we might as well do. I, I can't not bring this show up because this is a dream show for me. So Worcester Palladium Outdoors. I didn't even know they did concerts outside. I'm from Boston. I didn't even know until like last year. Apparently, I could be wrong on this. Someone told me it holds like 8,000 people or something, which I can't even like wrap my head around. Just like it holds a lot of people. Yes. We, what a lineup, dude. And yeah. th this was, I mean, it was hard for me to keep this one a secret because I all I knew before or like maybe a month before, a couple weeks before, I knew it was Newfound Glory, Four Years Strong, Bayside and Piebald, which I love all those bands. Yeah. And then the day of, I saw the poster, it was like The Movie Life and Be Well, A Loss for Words and a bunch of other bands. I mean, my initial thought, I was like, this should be like a pavilion full tour, which you guys are doing a tour um, with Four Years Strong and Be Well. Yes. But there's like awesome festivals kind of peppered in there. I mean, this was just one of those things where it worked out because of the venue, because Worcester does have these outdoor shows when you're obviously in the summer, not right now, you know, March, it's a little too cold still. Uh, so timing worked out for this. And we are, it's a sticks and stones fest is what we're calling it because the tour we're doing that you referenced, that you referenced with um, For Your Strong and Be Well is celebrating 20 years of Sticks and Stones, our album. And so when it came through to our Boston area stop, we wanted to play Worcester because it is a little bit of a nostalgia for us there. Um, we actually just did play the Palladium um, a few months back this fall. I was there. And, uh, yeah, it was a great show, and we always love playing there, but the idea and opportunity came to us to play outside. But if we were going to play outside, of course, we have Four Years Strong, so it's like hometown guys, which is great. And I'm sure the show would be awesome if it was just the three bands, us, Four Years Strong, and Be Well outside. But we're like, you know what? Let's make this bigger. We might as well make some calls and see what we can do. And next thing you know, this Sticks and Stones fest was born, which I wish we could make this a fest, but it's really hard to have a traveling fest nowadays. Pretty much the only one that was ever able to work out was Warped Tour. 
for RIP, you know, and there's reasons why even that doesn't really exist now, unless you're just going to do a weekend thing or whatever. It's really hard to get everybody to kind of get on the same page. So I'm just glad that this of all shows is going to be the special one where you just have so many cool bands. And uh, yeah, you're right. That tour we do have coming up this summer, there are some fest you know, peppered in there. There's an Atlantic Atlantic City Fest going on in there as well. And, um, you know, later this year, we have some cool stuff. We're going to be on a cruise. And yeah, there's some fun stuff coming up here. Dude, yeah, I want to talk about the cruise. I, I want to talk about Furnace Fest. Let me hit on that cruise real quick. Yeah. Because I, if there's one thing, like, you know, like there's like the When We Were Young Festival. I know you guys aren't on that, but like there's that, there's Furnace Fest, there's the cruise, there's like all these tours. If there's one thing I will have major FOMO with that I wish Piebald was doing, if I had to pick one, it's the cruise. I love cruises. Uh, okay. I, I'm like a platinum um, Norwegian cruise line uh Oh, you're Remember. that guy. You, yeah, you know where everything is on the on the ship and all that stuff. Dude, like I I did like six cruises in like four months. So like I did a solo trip to Europe, and instead of flying there, I took a, a Norwegian ship from Brooklyn to Rome, and that was like two weeks. Just you know, it's like seven days in a row at sea, and then the first stop is like the Azores, and then it hits like Lisbon, Portugal, and a couple wow. stops in Spain, France, and it ends in Rome. Dude, it was before I even hit land. I'm a social butterfly too. Like I do all the activities, I get the drink back. Package. So I'm just like every, I'm just like floating around. I'm I'm in the dance club. Like I I love all that stuff, man. I'm kind of like corny, I guess. But like so be before we even stepped on land, I was even though I went by myself, I I had so many friends. Like everywhere we stopped in port. Fast forward, I ended up in Europe for four months, but I did like five more cruises, like the Greek islands and the Baltic Sea and the Scandinavia thing. So point being, so I love the the cruise vibe and then add like a lot of my favorite bands. It's just, I, I, I'm going to find a way on that boat. I will. You should. I'm on the waiting list. It sold out like in two seconds. And yes. um, I even emailed, dude, I emailed them and I was like, if you guys need like an emo night DJ hype man, like they were like, nah, we're all set. It was, like, it was worth <laughs> a try, you know. But anyway, so you never know. You never know. You know, hey, got nothing to lose, but I'll find a way on there, and that will be rad. Have you done a cruise before or anything like that? Yes, we have. Personally, uh, I'm not necessarily like a huge cruise guy. I've gone on some, but um, you know, not like doing that all the time. I also have two small children, and uh, they're not yet at the age. Maybe we'll start doing Disney cruises, which are not like this at all uh, soon. But yeah. It, it, I haven't been on regular cruises in a while, but fortunately I've actually done these like rock cruises a couple times already. We did them with Paramore years back and it is, I believe the same exact ship. I know it's the same company that does them. It's a company called Sixth Man and they're super cool. There's actually some people that used to work on Warp Tour production that went into that because it's kind of a, they have a season as well. It's like year long and they stay on the boat for most of the year and they have stories. If you ever get on one of those cruises and you can kind of hang out with some of the people that work there, the Sixth Man people, oh my gosh, the stories they have are insane because the seasons always change as far as like who's on it and it's not always the same, you know, f cruises every year. You never know who was on that boat before you. And for instance, we did a Paramore cruise one time where the week before us, or at least whatever the last cruise was before we were on, was like a kid rock cruise. And so oh, we wow. just heard stories because obviously the <laughs> clientele, the, the, the crowds are just, it's night and day, right? The biggest like example of that was we went down to like the main kind of uh, atrium area and they had this like gift shop where you can get photos done. And so we took photos, a couple of us, and then we were talking to the person, the, the person that worked there and we were like, hey, can we like make sure that we're the only ones that can get these pictures? 
pictures because some of them are like personal pictures of like our families and we don't want like fans to come and try to buy them because they have like you can look through a book and get pictures from the cruise right and so they were like yeah no problem just look through this book and tell us which ones are yours and we'll pull them for you guys and we start looking through the book and we're like wait this isn't this cruise and we get to talking we find out yeah it's a kid rock cruise so basically what happened was uh as i'm going backwards in chronological order you got this paramore cruise it's cool it's fun it's like you know uh people you would expect kind of the warp tour crowd and as you flip back to that week before it literally goes from like a pg to a total r-rated movie like just shirts off uh no matter what the the gender is and just drinks everywhere and people were just sloppy and you can see it in these pictures i did for a second there think about wow i wonder if they because this is way before covid if they even cleaned this boat before you know and then i had to get that thought out of my mind because we were on the ship with nowhere to go for the next three days but yeah so it, it's cool Th those cruises are super fun as a band member you always get to have just very unique shows because they're in different venues every time or different parts of the ship so sometimes you'll play outside up on the like pool deck sometimes you'll play like literally in the belly of the ship there's a really super cool theater but it's at the bottom of the ship and as a drummer you're like feeling the boat and it's really weird but you know it's unique right and so um i'm stoked to be back on a cruise uh i think uh we might have been talking to warped a few years ago to do that cruise and it just didn't work out so uh, you know i wasn't sure if we were going to be able to do one again but here we go. You must yes. not dead. And uh, super cool lineup on that, too. Having Dashboard on there. Under yeah. Oath. Thursday. Uh, Thursday, yeah. All our friends. Yeah, Emery. Yeah, it's it's just an awesome It's It's only missing Piebald, in my opinion. What, what yeah, it's I mean? like, hey, get, I don't know, get a, get a petition started. <laughs> know, get them on seriously. there. Seriously, that's just me speaking selfishly. That'll be a blast. No, I don't know. I just love the cruise. But what I love about cruise is, like, I mean, if I think too much about it kind of like what were you saying right it was like i don't even want to think who was in the same bunk you know last week or whatever i don't like the environmental impact uh that's the only thing i don't like about cruises but True. everyone just shows up to have a good time everyone's on vacation there's just really good energy and and you know every time i've been on a cruise i've made someone who i still talk to till this day i make friends and i don't know i just like to have fun you know maybe that, yeah, i believe that you know i believe that and yeah. um on this one, at least for us, I know most of us, I think, are bringing uh, families because, yeah, we're, we're, we're not oh, as young cool. as we used to be, but it's cool, right? So you get to bring kids or wives or whatnot. And uh, my kids are four and seven right now, so they've already heard about the all-you-can-eat soft serve. And, um, and it's cool because, you know, we are, at least from past experiences, we're not ones that are, like, trying to be totally isolated. Although, as a band member, you can do that if you need to. And I don't know how it's changed since COVID or whatnot, but, you know, we were the ones that were eating in the dining hall with everybody because yeah it wasn't a newfound glory cruise it was a paramore cruise and of course or you know whatever cruise we were on and you know since we're not the headliner the headliner is not going to be able to just go sit with everybody and eat that would cause a crazy commotion but we can so it's like go play your show and then you go have your buffet with everybody else and people are super respectful and uh, stoked at the same time and again it's just like you said it's a really cool environment because i think everybody realizes you're on a ship you can't go anywhere you're going to be with all of these people for the next three days and it's going to be like an experience for that week and so everybody gets along and everybody just enjoys it and there's stories that come out of it and it is like a, a weekend summer camp you know what i mean you just hit the nail on the head you said that perfectly and um, just to add to that you know going back to what you mentioned like with like the kid rock crews or whatever it's just another thing that i love about the scene that we are a part of for the most part it's really good respectful people you know yeah like dude pieball did furnace fest last year okay perfect transition because i want to talk about furnace fest anyway dude it's you know i mean everyone's older and more mature now but like i don't think there was one fight maybe somebody got punched in the face in a mosh pit on accident or whatever but i mean dude it was just like one of those old school hardcore shows almost like there's people that weren't you know 
artists that were kind of like on the stage or on the side stage, but everyone was just chilling. I don't know. I just like stepped back and looked around like during a couple of the sets and I was like, this is beautiful. It's just like everyone is just here for the music and here to have a good time. It was really magical. You know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. And uh, so, yeah, bringing up Furnace Fest, I'm really excited for that. And we should talk about that a little bit um, here uh, in a minute. But I think I'm going to add to one of the reasons why I feel like you probably had that experience at Furnace Fest. And I felt this on, and, and maybe you did with that show that we did with Piebald uh, back in Buffalo in um, October. But I think last year, at least, when people started or tours kind of started happening again, I think everybody, bands and fans included, were just so relieved and so excited and just, you know, so many emotions and a lot of them you'd never really felt because nobody expected this to, to happen and then it ripped the whole live industry apart. So I think everybody was so relieved to have a show. And even with Furnace Fest, I, I know that fest was postponed a couple times, rescheduled. You had lineups change and all that, of course, because of COVID. And so, well, like I was saying, even on our tour, we felt that like every night in whatever city you were in, you kind of felt that camaraderie that was even more than before. In general, our scene has always been fairly respectful, like you said said uh you do have your douchebags that go out and maybe drink too much or your people that just they've never been to a show they don't know how to handle themselves but for the most part yeah i mean people are in this to, together and they understand that if uh somebody's out there being a bad apple they're going to ruin it for everybody so the rest of the crowd will take care of that or whatever but more importantly or more so this past year and i'm sure it's going to continue for a little while sometimes it takes having an incident or having a situation for a year and a half now to not have so many shows uh for people to kind of realize and step back and recognize how special this is and you don't want to do anything to screw it up. So I like that aspect. Of course, it has destroyed the live industry and it is just now trying to get back on its feet and so many people unfortunately you know were displaced because of it or or not even in the industry anymore and that 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 sucks but uh as we hopefully get back to some type of a normal thing again, it is cool to to feel that feeling at shows again, you know. Yeah, man, that's a very, very good point. Um, so I, I think it's a combination of almost like you don't realize what you got till it's gone, right? Exactly. So there's that aspect. There's the mature aspect, right? Because we were all at these shows 20 years ago and we were kids, right? But then here's an example. I saw Vinnie Caruana. I saw I Am the Avalanche in Boston. It was probably right after that um, Newfound Glory show. It was like in October or November. It was at the old, uh, you know, the TT and the Bears in Boston. It's called Sonia now. It's right next to the Middle East and Cambridge. Okay. Yeah, anyway, yeah. small, small, small room. And one of the first shows I attended, not as part of the show with Pieball or whatever, since things started opening back up. And people are, you know, distancing themselves from one another. And there was just these two dudes who were just like, they were huge fans of Vinny and I Am The Avalanche and stuff. But they were just like running into people. Like, you know, when people just are like way over the top in the in the mosh pit. And Vinny stopped to shout, dude. He like, middle of the song, he's like, time out. Sits down on the stage. He's, you know, Vinny's the man. Dude. Sits down. He's like, you, you, come here, come here, come here. He like puts his arm around both of them. He's like, all right, boys. And I didn't hear what he said, but I know what he said. He's like, listen, I appreciate you guys, but you're kind of ruining every the vibe for everybody else, basically. Yeah, yeah. So add all those things together, and it's just a special camaraderie and not to trash talk Kid Rock or that crowd or whatever, but I just know there's something special about our scene. You know, I'm just proud of that. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think that's uh, it's a testament and uh, to just our scene in general, how for the most part, we brought it up ourselves. And when I say we, I mean bands and fans alike. You know, this isn't something that's ever been manufactured 
in a studio or at a record label. And this has always been about live music, really. I mean, the radio stuff uh, definitely helped. And the MTV stuff that like Green Day started and Offspring way back in the day. And, you know, you still have your bands like your Fallout Boys that kind of break out. And that helps keep it in the forefront. And of course, there's a massive resurgence now with all the stuff that Travis is, that Travis Barker is producing. And, you know, it kind of, it it definitely helps. But for the most part, when you go to legit shows in our scene, which I say scene, because I don't want to say pop punk because the hardcore is still there. You have all your screamo stuff. You know, we're all still, uh, it's like a brotherhood, right? It's like a big family. Yeah. Everybody gets it. Warp Tour is the perfect epitome of that because for 25 years or whatever it was, 24 years, that festival went on and showed you for an entire summer how it was possible to take all these people and put them together. And, you know, the stories that would either go on or ones you hear about from Warp Tour about how many times it almost didn't happen or how many things happened on that tour that would stop any other tour. But it continues and it literally continues because no matter who's involved, everybody knows what they need to do to get to the next show because that's the goal. And we run our band that way. I mean, everything is about you just want to keep doing this. The only thing that could ever stop us is something crazy like a COVID, right? Like we don't let interband, you know, uh, struggles if there ever is one or disagreements or like we don't let that stuff get in the way of us. Uh, we're all normal. There's life that happens and people do get in disagreements and, you know, have fights and arguments and all that kind of stuff. But we all understand the bigger picture. And I think as a whole, you could actually say that about most of the attendees at concerts, most of the fans of bands and everybody just gets it. And that's why it's still here. And that's why I don't think this kind of music will ever go away. It might just morph into something that sounds a little different. But this ideology that's been behind punk rock music, which then became, you know, your pop punks and your all post pop and all, you know, all this, all these different genres subgenres that ideology is always going to be there totally man i I nerd out on this stuff dude and that was very well said and i appreciate that it also takes a band like newfound glory or a dashboard confessional or even like a jimmy world you know bands that were you know are higher up there or bigger you all lead by example like you're all sincerely genuinely good dudes and and again going back to that Vinny thing like he's like no we're gonna stop the show right now and this needs to be addressed or um piebald did some holiday shows back in december and some dude was being weird and andy from piebald he's like you back the fuck up those things are so important they get called out whereas maybe some other genres maybe they don't maybe they do i'm sure they do you know what i'm saying it's it's yeah. just again i'm just so proud and like i nerd out on this stuff and it, it makes my heart full sincerely it's corny but it's, it really does you know yeah and again i mean for us it's never been it's never been hard to feel that because it's very easy to just think about where we came from and think about our rise if you want to call it which was a very organic that we started in our parents' garage. You played the local shows, uh, whether it was the VFW halls or your school, your high school or whatever, you know, and you slowly kind of just branched out. And for kids from South Florida, this wasn't easy because to get out of Florida is five hours, you know, and to even make it to Orlando is another two or three, uh, let alone trying to get out of the state. But, you know, it was... I don't want to say it was slow. It did happen fairly quick for us, and that's amazing. But at the same time, we played so many shows. We went on so many tours. We played with so many great bands, bands like Piebald, bands like Saves the Day. You know, we would go to Jimmy World shows. We would go to MXPX shows. We would try to hang with the bands. We would see what they would do. We'd go see Less Than Jake and become friends with them and then watch them. And not just watch them play, but watch how they were. That example you're talking about, we watch them and still to this day use them as an example of how to be a band 
band for 30 years, you know, even longer than we, we've been together. Yeah. And it's just this, because it was organic and there was nothing fake about it. There was nobody who was just like, we're going to make you a star tomorrow. It's easy for us to always keep that in the back of our head. And that keeps you grounded. And that keeps you so appreciative of what you have, because there are, for every one of us, there's millions of bands that tried and never made it. And here we are. We, we we did some things and I have platinum records on my wall. And yeah, we have the the success like that. But the biggest thing is 25 years later, I'm still doing this. And every day I have somebody who comments on Instagram or YouTube or whatnot, or comes up to me at a show when we play shows and talks about how they started their band because of us, or they're playing drums because of me. That's the greatest compliment because we've now started to inspire the next generation. And you know, you don't expect that when you first start ever. Totally, man. And what's also really rad, and I'm, I'm not speaking for the Piebald guys, I just started touring with them six years ago, but I really just went from like biggest fan to, you know, somehow became tour manager, essentially. But they're still my favorite band. And what was really cool for me to be like a, just being like a fly on the wall at that Buffalo show that we played with you a few months back. Chad, you know, Chad was chatting with like Aaron, Stewart, and Travis um, for a bit. And I could just see how sincere he was as he like loves piebald and like he was just like bringing up all these memories and what i love about it and chris caraba same thing like i think it's cool because you guys give back right because piebald never hit that level that maybe some of the other bands hit but you'll never forget that 20 years ago you know, they took you on tour or whatever. They um, did. It helps that they're like just the most awesome dudes ever. Everyone leads by example. And you definitely, like Chad, he said like the nicest things in the world on stage when we played that show. Yeah. I was like almost in tears. I was like, dude, it's just really rad, man. And, it, and it's it's definitely, again, leading by example. Does that make sense? Well, yes. I appreciate those, those, those words. I should interject something here. Nobody will really know this, but I might as well say this. I will apologize to you, nothing personal, but we didn't even talk that day. It's all because of COVID, honestly, because COVID has changed everything, or at least at that time had changed everything, right? So the tour that we did, this one show you're referencing, if people don't know, we, Newfound Glory, we were on a tour with Less Than Jake supporting. It was a very weird tour because it wasn't supposed to be Less Than Jake. It was supposed to be Simple Plan. And about two weeks before the tour, Simple Plan dropped off the tour. The tour had been postponed a few times already, like everybody's tours did with COVID. And we were finally able to do it. And we had to scramble and Lesson Jake came through in the biggest way to come out and and support on that tour. But this Buffalo show, it's almost like the Worcester Sticks and Stones Fest where we booked this Buffalo show at Riverworks. And if uh, people haven't been there, it's a massive venue. Normally we play the town ballroom in Buffalo, which is a great, great, great place. Uh, but Riverworks is, I think, two to three times the size of it. And our booking agent and everybody with the, the promoter up there, he's an awesome guy. Everybody's just like, no, you can do this. It's going to be great. And so we were like, well, we should make it special. So let's add a band. And that's where Pieball came from. And when us, the guys, us in the band, when we've heard that Pieball could probably do this show and we got them on the show, we were so excited because we are, we're fans of Pieball. Like you said, you know, 20 years ago, it was Saves a Day and Pieball took Newfound Glory on tour, right? And yes, we will never forget that. And of course, we understand that things have changed. And uh, yeah, we probably had a couple more MTV videos and they did and all that stuff. And they didn't get to the same level that we wanted them to. The nostalgia thing is so cool. And to be able to have them on that show was cool. But my point was, I'll apologize to you because the tour was so weird. I think for everybody, personally, what I was going through mentally, if you want to say, was you're excited to be on tour. You're nervous at the same time, extremely scared. I mean, at that point, we were like probably 60% through the tour, 70% through the tour. So we were like in tour mode, but at least being 
a headlining band. The way that COVID was working, you don't see it. You don't know when it's going to happen. And our tour, like much, much, most of the other tours, if somebody gets COVID, that crew, the band has to stop and you got to stop for a week or however long it takes it to run through your camp because usually it would hit more people. From day one, I had to go into that tour thinking I have to be as safe as possible. Like personally, I was kind of on that tip anyways, but very important on this tour. And the reason being was this, and I don't think a lot of people would think this. If Less Than Jake or any of the other bands on that tour had COVID issues and couldn't play, 99% chance the show still goes on because Newfound Glory plays and people bought the ticket to see, usually to see see at least us and other people. There are some people that only bought tickets for other bands or whatnot, but they'll be cool with us playing. If Newfound Glory has COVID and cannot play, nobody plays. And the responsibility, I've never had that responsibility before. I mean, I guess inherently you always have that. That's probably why I wouldn't go roller skating that day. Because if I break my arm, which I say that ironically, I broke my arm 20 years ago on a tour. But if, you know, something goes wrong with one of us and we can't perform, the whole show goes, right? So I stayed back. I said hi really fast to Travis, uh, I think Aaron, right? Or maybe Andrew, one of the pieball guys, like right after, they played right before we played in the hall. That was it. Otherwise, of course, mass on and whatever we needed to do. But I didn't even associate really with anybody. And even the Lesson Jake guys barely associated with them because unfortunately with COVID, we had to try to make sure that tour went on. And it did. It was extremely successful, which is great, but not without its own kind of quirks. And mentally, it was extremely, at least for me, psychologically, it was, it was kind of taxing because you're isolated as much as you can be because it's all about getting to the next city. And it's all about making sure that tomorrow you can still do this again for a whole new crowd of people and whatever you did today in Pittsburgh, you don't want it to affect tomorrow in Buffalo or something like that. So a weird time. So I apologize. Long story, but I apologize for not being able to really hang out and even say hi to you or anything because I was trying to stay away. Dude, I appreciate that so much. However, it's not necessary at all. I totally understand weird fucking times, man. And yeah. I've told people since, whether it was on a podcast like this or just, you know, whatever, just talking shop with other people who tour and stuff. And I've been telling everyone since that show, I'm like, dude. And also, um, uh, Brian Ward is a homie of mine. He wasn't at that particular show, but I know he guitar texts for you guys uh, frequently, you know, and he gave me the heads up beforehand. He's like, listen, these guys are doing it right. Like we are staying in our bubble. Because this is like, if we don't, everything you just said, like I was saying to other people after I actually was part of one of those shows, I was just like, they're doing it right. Going back to that leading by example thing that, you know, you can do that in many ways. And that's another, for example, like when I showed up, you know, we, we pull up in the, in the van and I'm like, all right, guys, I'm, I'll pop into the venue and figure out where we got to go and stuff. I'll be right back. And I ran into Ian. He was a gentleman. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm Ian. Nice to meet you. Hey, I'm Dana. We shook hands. He had, I felt like he had like sanitizer, like a, on a holster or something. He had it on him. He was yeah, like, shook my hand like a gentleman and then bang, you know, yep. had his mask on and just, it made me think, I'm like, this is how every band should be doing this right now. When we were a young band, you know, and you would meet bands for the first time, you want to hang out with them. You want to be nice. Times are way different. This is 20 years ago, right? So you would go play a show, especially if you're on a tour, you go hang out in the other person's bus and all this stuff. And you get to know people over the course of six, eight weeks and you're like lifelong friends and all this stuff. Well, now you see these friends again. For instance, uh, like specific Lesson Jake or even like the Bible guys for the day. But you, you're not really supposed to hang out. Every time I see Lesson Jake, 
I'm hanging out on their bus. I'm, you know, like going, they just played a concert in South Florida. I didn't go to it, not out of disrespect, but if I went, I wouldn't want to go and be that weird person that inserts myself and possibly gets them sick or something. So I didn't even go to like see them outside or whatever. But I was more talking about, Pieball's not like a young band, but you would have been somebody who I'd never had the chance to meet before. And then it also is the same thing to any newer bands, like the support bands on our tour or any bands that might play with us. I don't want them to get the wrong impression of us. And you can't walk around with a disclaimer, right? But right. I would hope that people would understand. And I'm also hoping as we get to back to normal or the new normal, whatever that becomes, that, you know, people don't get the wrong impression because we're not trying to be uh, standoffish or isolated or any of that stuff. The COVID forced us to be. Otherwise, I want to be approachable. I hope people look at us as approachable. I'm not 18 years old and I might not go and party till 6 a.m. every night anymore or any of that stuff. But that doesn't mean you can't come have a conversation with me. And so I don't want our perception in the world to change. Because I feel like we're definitely not that. We know who we are. We're just normal guys, you know? Totally, man. And you're a gentleman for saying that. And it definitely means a lot, but completely unnecessary. It's like above and beyond, you know? It, it just speaks to your character. But I get it. We all get it. We were just happy to be there. And thank you, because that was an awesome show. And, um, it was an amazing I, show. I know those guys were super, the Pieball dudes, because you guys go way back. Same thing we did a show with. Thursday, like there was a week there where we went down, we did like a headliner in Orlando, and then we did Furnace Fest, then we played a show with Thursday, then we played a show with Newfound Glory. So for me, I'm just like, to be honest, like I just try to like not make waves. Again, I'm like kind of like the newer guy, you know, tour manager, and like I got a job to do in a professional and stuff. But in my head, I'm like, yo, this is Newfound Glory, dude. I just want to stay out of their way. I'm, I nerd out in my head, if that makes sense, you know? So like I try to stay out of people's way, kind of like don't speak unless spoken to. Like I'm not going to like go walking over and be like, hey, Cyrus, I'm Dana. Unless we kind of cross paths. Does that make sense? I just try to like, yeah, not be annoying. And I have to consciously make sure that I'm not when I first started touring with those dudes, I know I was annoying. And then I, I quickly learned how to read the room because I was nerding out, dude. I was just like, yo, Travis, can you talk like talk about that B side that you guys did? Like, you know, <laughs> 20 years ago, and it's like, he's just trying to like chill out before a show, you know, and so I point being a uh, I just try to like stay out of the way and just, I think that's why they put me to work. They're like, go, you know what? Yeah, You'd be great busy, at selling you merch <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, so. But I did I, catch you, uh, you, you, you rock out during their show. You I, were down in the barricade. Like when you said that thing about you want to get on the, you know, or you hit up the emos, not dead people to see if they needed a hype man or something. Um, I, You fit that job description. Cause I feel like you were piebald's hype man <laughs> during that show. Again, I didn't really get to see you, but I saw like, Instagram videos of you like that people were shooting from the crowd, you know, of Pieball, but you would see you in, in the barricade in some of them. I, it's cool to see that kind of stuff. And it's cool to see how you're you're stoked on the band. You know, it, it's nothing better than having somebody work for you that is a fan of the band, but not like in a weird way, right? Like you're genuinely stoked to not only be doing what you're doing, but to be doing what you're doing with that crew. Totally. I wanted to ask you before I forget. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was that Buffalo show, which was amazing. And your whole crew is amazing. Uh, Matt, that guy's very impressive. He's the production manager or like kind of a tour manager. Yeah, you can call him production manager. He came okay. on as a TM assistant, if you want to call it. And he was running like our VIP. He's really good friends with our current tour manager, uh, who's a guy named Ben Wilcox, who's also our front of house guy. And he's an amazing dude. But Matt morphed into like a TM number two and... Yeah, he's awesome. I can see his attention to detail. Yeah. Um, and Ben's great, too. I love mm -hmm. Steve. You know, I stood next to him 
Selma Murphy. That guy's awesome. Just yeah. your whole crew, man. Um, but point being, as I was leaving Buffalo, I said to Matt, I was like, hey, dude, you guys are playing, um, like, later that week, you guys are doing the House of Blues in Boston and then the Palladium. I was like, is it cool if I come by? Like, I want to see New Found Glory and Listen Jake, and I don't have plans. I'm not going back to work yet. He's like, yeah, dude, just hang on to the... the yeah, you Yeah, come by. And I did. And, like, yeah. just to point out his attention to detail, I didn't even, like, interact with him. I didn't even see him. I didn't know he saw me. Dude, I was like... Uh, the House of Blues kind of has like the little balcony up on the side mm -hmm. there, like next to the stage. And he just like, he spotted me, came around. I was with a buddy. He goes, hey, beers? You know what I mean? Handed us beer. He was just a, a gentleman. And uh, those shows were rad. But what I wanted to ask you about, like two days later, Jordan comes out and he's got a cast on. It's like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what happened because um, I don't know if we could pinpoint the exact spot. But Jordan's got this thing where he just gets hurt. And recently, it's uh, he gets hurt either right on a tour or right before a tour. And he's a singer, right? So it's like you can't really hide anything. Ironically, he finds ways to get hurt where he can still perform. So it's like if we have to tape the friggin' microphone to your hand, we will. But yeah, he broke his foot. He broke his foot on tour. Um, we found out right before that Worcester show, I think. No, because uh, the... or maybe it was right after. It was it was the day after because we were still in Massachusetts. We had a day off and uh, we were at a hotel. I don't even know where, but we were in Massachusetts. And um, yeah, Jordan had to go to the the like urgent care that day because his foot was just killing him. And found out that he had broken it. So then we had to scramble and kind of think of well, how do we do this? We're not stopping this tour. There's no way. And he's got that attitude. He knew it. You know, like not that he did anything dumb. It ha it apparently happened while he was playing. Like he jumped and he landed awkward. Or he, he blames it on like the shoes because he buys it's just one of the random things he does he will buy like six to seven pairs of shoes a tour right it's not because he's a shoe collector he's on this like just everlasting search for the perfect pair of stage shoes now to put it in perspective i think i've used two types of shoes my entire career i've used uh chucks like low chucks not even high tops low chucks uh, i'm a drummer so i guess that helps but I, I use low chucks for like 20 years and for the last five years i've gone in advance uh, mainly because we've developed relationship with them and i found a pair that i liked and they're similar to chucks as far as like not being too bulky uh jordan on the other hand i mean you name it he's like every day off we're near a mall and a movie that's kind of like the newfound prerequisite as much as people probably want to think that we want to go you know eat like the fanciest seven course meal and be up in the mandarin oriental and all that stuff no we'll take a hampton inn next to a mall any day right but yeah jordan will always come back with like a new pair of shoes yo look at these nikes they got you know and it's like how much do you spend on those all oh, like, i don't know like 250 it's like, why are you, why are you spending it? And he'll wear them the next show. He will throw them away after the show. He'll be like, those are the worst shoes ever. And it's like, well, stop buying them then. You know, find something else. So he blames his foot breaking on the shoes that he got. Needless to say, I think he literally threw that the night he broke his foot because he knew in his head internally. He knew he broke his foot. He didn't tell us on stage. He didn't stop. You know, he's a, he's a professional. He got through the show. I uh, didn't even, I don't even think he was limping on the show. But if I remember correctly, right after that show, whatever show it was, he threw his shoes in the crowd. And here are these, there's these fans catching them like, oh my God, memento, you know, like it's like a basketball player throwing their uh, sweatbands in the crowd. But no, he threw them out of frustration and anger because they broke his foot. <laughs> so he was a uh, broken foot and out a pair of shoes. And then he ended up, and we were like, well, the good thing is that now maybe you can get a discount 50% on your next pair of shoes you'll buy tomorrow because you only need one. You got a freaking boot on the other other uh, foot. Yeah, he finished out that tour with a broken foot. Dude, yeah, like, so the show we did with 
you guys in Buffalo. That was like a Saturday night. And then the show in at the House of Blues was like two days later. It was like a Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, the broken foot then. And then he, he came wheeling out with a cast. Mm-hmm. Again, just good attitude. Like he, he had a smile on his face and he put like lights on it. But I'm like, what the fuck happened? I just yeah. saw this guy like two days ago and he was like, what happened, dude? Yeah. That's brutal, man. Is it? Is uh, he like better? Like, oh, he's uh, totally fine. Yeah, it's, you know, you break your foot right before a tour is over and give it what is it, four to six weeks for a broken uh, bone? And, I'm, you know, he's back. Hopefully he won't snap that or something else uh, the first, uh, first chord of our next tour. Really quickly, I wanted to say that is a testament to our crew, what you pointed out there with him uh, coming out on the case and, and lights. Um, for anybody who wasn't there, it was a snap decision. Matt was actually involved in that. That's how awesome Matt is. And Kyle, our, uh, one of our guitar techs, where it was like right before he went on stage, uh, somebody's like, yo, Jordan, you should wheel yourself out. Like it would be funny instead of hobbling out. And so they did this whole thing. And pretty much for the rest of the tour, Jordan would like Superman himself out. Or one night he's like, you know, like lying down, like he's like uh, laying on a bed, you know, all sexy or whatever on a road case. And somebody pushes him out to the middle and it ended up being Matt most days. Push him out. Jordan would get up, grab a microphone stand, which he normally never uses. But of course, he needed something to anchor himself. And then the case would go away. And the lights, that wasn't Jordan's idea. That was our light guy who was like, yo, let me do something to that. And he put an LED strip of lights with a battery pack on it. And it was actually one of those LED lights that reacts to sound. So that thing was just going nuts the whole show because there's so much, you know, noise on stage. Yeah, it's just great, like, doing whatever you can to kind of take the piss out of it, right? Because this is such a crazy thing for a pop punk singer to have a broken foot where immediately you can't jump around, which is what pretty much all you do. Professionals, man. And yeah, if anything, you, you whatever, you turn lemons into lemonade kind of thing. You just made the most of it, and the show must go on, like you said. Exactly, you know? and it did. Hell yeah, dude. And you guys crushed it. And I'm a huge Lesson Jake fan. And Lolo, awesome. I had never heard of her or them mm-hmm. until that Buffalo show. And I think I read or heard somewhere that was kind of like her first tour, first big tour, and it was yeah, cool because she would come out and sing with you guys on one, I forget what song, but. Vicious Love, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that is just really cool because you guys are doing a huge thing for her by not only taking her on tour, but then like, hey, come out on stage and sing with us. That's that's huge just for her career and everything, which is great. And then um, Hot Mulligan, those guys are, you know, kind of like blowing it up. They're like doing the thing, man. I don't know, like they're just touring and they're just road dogs, and which is a really hard thing to do right now for a band who's, you know, ascending like yeah. like they are. Um, so yeah, it was a really, really awesome lineup. I mean, Lesson Jake, just talk about professionals, those guys. Legends, legends. So totally, really, hey, really I, cool. I mean, even them getting on the tour—that was like the utmost professional thing you could ever do for us to two weeks before a tour, call them up and be like, hey, buds, I know we're best friends and all that stuff, but uh, yeah, you want to go out for like uh, seven weeks on this tour that's already booked and pretty much, you know, sold really, really well. And they're like, yeah, why not? And it totally worked out. Yeah, I mean, the Lolo Lolo thing's really cool because uh, she was a great artist. She was a great addition to that tour, but I shouldn't call her an addition because she was actually on the tour when it was us and Simple Plan. And so when Simple Plan removed themselves from that tour, we didn't want to just automatically flush out Lolo and be like, let's start over. And she was totally down to do the tour. She's like, no, this is like my first tour. I'm I'm fan and it would be awesome to play these shows. So we're like, yeah, you might as well stay on. This is cool. If you're going to have that kind of attitude, it'd be great. And yeah, the Hot Mulligan guys jumped on as well. Um, and I think really rounded out the lineup because it was nice and eclectic in a sense. Lolo, you know, it's kind of got that poppy, like electronic kind of pop punk thing going on. Hot Mulligan is just, you know, they got the gritty, let's drink some beers and 
go out and play a show. And then you got Less Than Jake, which, uh, yeah, super professional, like you said, but obviously they're, they're, they're the ska punk thing and, uh, you know, nostalgia vibes there. So it was really fun having just that nice lineup of bands, all four bands. I'm sure as a fan, it was kind of cool to get that, that taste of everything. Totally. And again, I mean, we were very honored to be there. That was a, a really rad lineup. The only thing I was bummed out about just uh, selfishly, I was like, this is great that we're on this show, but now I don't get to see Less Than Jake because I love Less Than yeah. Jake. But then, you know, I went to the Boston Worcester show. So, I mean, again, I had seen you guys prior to that Buffalo show. I don't Dude, got to be close to 20 times, man. Going back to like one of my earliest show memories with Newfound Glory. I'm sure you'll remember this. It was at the Palladium. It was like, I want to say it was like Finch and something corporate and further seems forever. Yeah, massive tour, 2002. Yeah, dude. I was like in high school and that, that's that when, was when I, Six and Stones came out. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly that was probably right. the first tour for that for that album. So it's, you know, it's all coming full circle, but go ahead. Yeah, totally. Oh, well, actually I had seen you at like Warp Tour or whatever before that, but oh, that was all. It's just, so yeah, it kind of comes full circle again, just for me as a fan, like this Palladium show that's coming up, Sticks and Stones, like you just said, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny, man. May I ask, can I ask, is Chad doing okay? I know the Pieball dudes were like concerned and, um, you know. Yeah, well, uh, I, I mean... Obviously, I'm not him, but I will say thank you for asking. And uh, yeah, he's he's good. He uh, obviously went through a lot with a cancer diagnosis and a procedure that had to happen, and that all came extremely quick. Kind of scary because that had been going on. If you like, he's very forthcoming about this stuff. If you don't follow him on social media, you can, and you can see kind of he documented almost the entire story. And now there's actually a couple of publications, like I think Forbes did a write up on him, which is kind of cool. Uh, there's a couple of, like uh, publications that have come out to do little in-depth pieces or whatever but he uh he had a tumor and i don't want to you know get into specifics because i don't want to be wrong about it but he had a tumor inside of him and this thing was growing for years so we were on that tour and all this stuff was going on and there were little things that were happening to him health-wise on that tour and of course it's covid time so you're always worried like is it this or is it that or and it wasn't you know and and nobody could really figure out what was going on with him but now everything's explained unfortunately or fortunately because of what was going on with him so he he had a procedure to remove a tumor and uh, recovery from that. He's uh, recovering as expected, if not better than most of the doctors, you know, were saying. And everything is on track for him to, you know, not only do this tour coming up uh, with with uh, four year and, and and be well, but continue pretty much a normal life. Obviously, just understanding what you went through and being a very cognizant of of that and kind of you know always keeping that in the back of your mind so that. You can prevent it if it is going to return. Yeah, man. It's like scary, scary stuff, totally. you know, um, especially when it's like unexpected like that. And um, that's great to hear that things yeah. seem to be going as good as they possibly could at this point. Yeah. That, that's great. That's great, man. And yeah. it's inspiring, too, you know, like because I follow you know, follow on the socials and he's just always had a smile on his face and just that positive attitude is contagious. And it's like, it's, it's, yeah, I'm sure it was a lot to go through, uh, even more than he would probably ever be able to tell anybody. And, and, you know, we all had talks as, as, as a band with him and all that stuff when it was going on. And, you know, it's just crazy because you've known somebody for so long for us, you've known him for 20 something years uh even farther than that for some of the guys in the band and you know everything can change instantly and yeah it's unfortunately or fortunately sometimes it takes these you know just off the wall kind of incidents or whatever to put everything in perspective and it was just another thing to kind of remind us of how fragile life in general is and how special what we have as a band and as a career is as well and uh you know in some ways it kind of 
just reinvigorates you to uh, to get out there and do the best you can and, and, you know, really just celebrate everything you can do with this because it, not everybody gets this chance. Definitely puts things in perspective. That was very well said. On that tour and uh, that Pieball did, we did a run of like maybe eight or so holiday shows in December. And I was driving. We're in the van. No trailer. We're on the Jersey Turnpike. Just traffic came to a stop. I got my foot on the brake. We are not moving, right? And then just all of a sudden, I looked in the rearview mirror right on time to what? Like just smash, dude. So an 18-wheeler hit a box truck and the box truck hit us. Wow. And blew out the back window. There's like gear and merch on the highway. Like it were like the middle lane Jersey Turnpike. It was like just a really intense moment. And, um, you know, everyone was okay. It could have been a lot worse. I mean, if that Mack truck hit us directly and that box truck wasn't that cushion, I don't even, you know, it took yeah. it took me the whole tour to like try to not think about what the what ifs. Um, but just to your point, man, like, I mean, when you go through something like that in that moment, we still got to the next show on time somehow, but it was just, it put things in perspective for all of it. We were all really shaken up, obviously. Just, I don't know, when you go through anything like that, that kind of makes you step back and like look at the big picture, it's like... I don't know. It just puts things in perspective. Exactly. You said it better than me, you know? No. Um, that, well, I, hey, yeah. I didn't even know that that happened to you guys, and that is crazy. That's uh, anybody who's on the road. Obviously, we uh, I think everybody's heard of insane things that have happened. Some of the bands uh, that have been in accidents have not come out as well, and that really sucks. That's always a fear. You never know, because most of the time... When you're in a band, especially if you've been in a band for a while, you're not driving anymore. I mean, I did it for our band for the longest time. And when we would get in the snow, I would relinquish that wheel to anybody in our band or crew that had any experience in snow. Because I'm a kid from South Florida that just does not know. But yeah, I mean, it's that's one of the scariest things ever, especially when you're on a bus. If, if anybody's ever been on a bus or even like an RV type thing, that's what it is. You're in these bunks that are, you know, I don't want to call it a coffin because that's a bad, that's bad imagery, but it's not big and you're just in a box basically and if anything happens you don't want to think about yeah, you, you, there's no seat belts or any of that kind of stuff so yeah it's uh it's a scary thing and you know you just always have to knock on wood when you say that and pray that it never happens to you and yeah things like that when they do happen if they do uh that'll easily shake you up not you know first off for a long time but also uh definitely put things in perspective in a way it brought us closer together like you know that's something that we all went through together we survived it and you know we were just happy to be alive like it, it turned into this like like for the next two days like travis kept saying he's like i'm just happy to be alive right now like i could see like the gears turning upstairs like in his brain like he like he was we were all going through that same thing but totally. anyway, you mentioned that the this tour so with uh for you strong and be well what a rad just bang 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 and be well is everywhere right now i mean legendary yeah. brian mcturnan i mean that yeah. guy i talk that band up so much because i just feel like the guy's just so humble but like such a legend and i like i'm like hey you know who be well is and someone's like no who's that i'm like oh it's brian mcturnan's band they're like who's that i'm like he produced half the records you own you know um, totally. all-star lineup you know he's surrounded himself with just this really just a bunch of pros and it just seems like they're on every tour every festival and um i'm gonna go see him in a few weeks in boston and it's just really cool to see because those are some killer tunes and of course my massachusetts dudes and four years strong so that's a full u.s tour right yeah it's a it's a full tour it's split up in the two legs which is something a little different for us it, it was just a conscious decision for us uh, everybody now has kids and we've never really done that before and a lot 
lot of bands do this kind of stuff. So it's like about three and a half weeks on the first leg. And then we take about a month off and then start up again. But it's throughout the summer. And uh, the bands you mentioned, you know, uh, Four Year and Be Well. Uh, Four Year shouldn't have to talk much about them because there's so much history with us. I mean, we've done so many tours with them. And they're such a great band and good friends of us. So I'm very excited to, to get back out there with them. And yeah, Be Well, it's, I didn't know much about them going into it. And then I heard and I immediately saw McTurner and I was like, I know that guy's name. Even if I don't know their music, I know that he produced like every record ever for a lot of these bands that we either went on tour with or, or kind of came up with and all that stuff. So super, super stoked to have them on. And it's cool to have coming from a tour that we did this last fall with Lolo and Lesson Jake, like uh, it's such like a just eclectic lineup, right? To kind of getting back to our roots in a sense, or at least just like, you know, you got a lineup now that's just like going to just pummel people, right? In a sense, and it's going to rock. And I'm really stoked about that because it does kind of tie in the sticks and stones, like nostalgia feeling. And there will probably be people that come to this tour that haven't been to shows in a long time, or maybe haven't seen us in a while and they're doing it for the nostalgia thing. And it's really going to help set the mood uh, to like put them in the right ambiance for the show they're going to experience that night, wherever, wherever it may be. Same thing with the Sticks and Stones Fest in, in Worcester, you know, just kind of adding on a lineup of bands that all fit together in this genre. And really, like, if you look at Sticks and Stones as an album, like, they all kind of encompass ways that that album was going or or everything that the album is about. So just super stoked. I'm super stoked on this tour. Dude, and what an album, man. Uh, you probably hear this all the time, and all your albums are great, you know, going all the way back to the first one, to the most recent stuff. But that that one there's something extra special about it as you know and yeah you know, i'm sick of smiling and so is my jaw just the, that killer killer opener i still remember buying it right when it came out and i had that cd i got my first car and that cd almost at the same time so that thing was like i spun that one so much that i like had to buy like a second one you know what i mean yeah you wore so, it out which is nuts yeah yeah i would love to ask you about Furnace Fest because yeah. I do have a few fan questions and there is a Facebook Furnace Fest group of like 6,000 people and it's like they're, the most they're shredding us right what's that they're shredding us, right? They're, they're, uh, they're, they're, I don't know. Are they talking crap or what's going on? Oh, stoke okay. level maximum. Um, There's always those, like, just the, the hardcore elitist dudes that are like, you know, you, you did this wrong or you don't, you don't belong on this lineup anymore. Or there's still people that remember us doing Furnace Fest one year when we were on tour to Blink 182 and we showed up in a bus. And we were the only band, I think, up to that point that had ever gone to Furnace Fest in a bus. But we had to because we were driving. We played two shows and we, we did a matinee at Furnace Fest because that night we played atlanta to twenty five thousand people a blink and it's like well we want to play furnace Fest because we played last year and possibly even the year before but this is just the only way to work out so don't get mad at us that we're showing up in a bus and playing at 2 p.m and you expected us to play at nine we got to go we, we got a show to play another show to play you know what i mean yeah. so i was just wondering if people were still like giving us crap about that nah those are just haters man okay. um seriously stoke level is maximum and actually people were if anything bummed out that you weren't on last year's lineup because yeah. they released like a like a set of like baseball cards i don't know if yes, you've i seen remember it. we were one of those yeah i got a set of that and um i'm like you found glory wait but they're not yeah. but retro because all the baseball cards have like pictures of you like I from think it's, the day. it's a picture of jordan like on that shed stage that like airplane hangar looking stage and um yep. so if anything uh, people are super stoked and you know this yeah this facebook group's like six thousand people who are just the most passionate so okay. one i know people would love to hear about your experience uh because a lot of these people were at that 
festival in 02 or 03 or whatever. So I don't know if you have any other memories aside from like the bus thing from playing back in the day. I mean, it was uh, at that time, it was fun for us to play shows like that because those were the kind of shows that would like ground us, right? Where most other bands, when you hit that trajectory where you're like on MTV and you're on the radio, it kind of like there's no looking back, right? And that's what people always say. That's that's literally the epitome. That's like the definition of a sellout, right? Like you just forget everything that you came from. But we were like, no way are we ever going to do that. We don't want to do that. So if there's a chance to play Furnace Fest, we want to play. Why do we want to play? Because we want to go and play the show that we've played two years going now. I don't remember who, exactly who was on that that specific lineup, but I remember for me, one of my, there were so many bands here, like I'll admit something, in our band, I wasn't even like the most schooled kind of pop punk emo kid. I was I was the radio kid. Like I loved Green Day. And the reason why I knew who Green Day was was because of MTV, not because I knew them from like pre Kerplunk or any of that kind of stuff, you know, and like I would know Goldfinger because uh, here in your bedroom got on MTV, but not not from going to shows or something like that or whatever. But all the dudes in my band, I mean, they like new emo stuff like it was nothing you know they could name you the like the family tree of who came where and all that stuff and so furnace fest had all the hardcore stuff that i didn't even know anything about they had emo bands that i didn't know necessarily know about or whatever and then it would have random other bands one of the bands i remember seeing at furnace fest and it was like one of the only times i ever got to see them and i was so excited to see them was a band called slick shoes now slick shoes is a band that was on tooth and nail records they were kind of like it was like mxpx's little brothers in the sense that they were on the same label, Tooth and Nail, super fast like MXPX, but uh, they, I think they just did a lot of tours with either Tooth and Nail bands or they did like the whole Christian scene. So we weren't really a part of that. But for some reason, they played a Furnace Fest. And I remember watching them during the day. And it was just so cool on that stage. You mentioned that we all that we all played the like air in the hangar stage or the, the, the Sloss Furnace stage or whatever you want to call it. Just people like there was almost no like barrier, especially back then. I don't even know if there was a physical barrier. There was no almost no barrier between being on the floor or being on the stage. And if you were like a band member on the stage, it was like Warp Tour times 100. There were like 250 people on stage. And so I would be up there watching a band like Slick Shoes going nuts, you know, singing every word. And then the rest of my guys would be like, hey, you got to stay up here for whoever, you know, I don't know who played. Let's say like, I don't know, Elliot or Mineral or uh, some other, you know, some hardcore band or something. And I would just stay stay up there and I would be the guy chewing gum because I don't know any of the words to any of these bands. I barely even know the music, but I definitely, I, I remember it because maybe those bands were being played in our van when those other dudes were driving or something like they would blast these records. So yeah, I, I was definitely like that kind of weird, awkward guy up on stage for so many bands, but Furnace Fest was just cool to like hang out with those bands that at that time we couldn't really play shows with because we needed to play the radio shows with Papa Roach and Our Lady Peace and whatever radio band of the time. Then you get to go back and play Furnace Fest and it feels good to get back to those shows you know yeah man and i mean but it's also i think important and really rad that you did get those you got to take those bigger gigs it seems like yeah. I, don't, I don't know if guilt is the right word but i can tell like maybe there's this part of you i could be wrong i'm just like reading this you tell me it just seems like it's important to you that like people know that you're still a fan of this music and you're still a part of this scene, but just because you got maybe bigger than some of the other bands, what I'm hearing from you is like maybe from your perspective, people think you're like a sellout or something like that because you because maybe you play those bigger gigs or you mentioned be on the bus or, or like on MTV. I'm trying to say this without coming off like disrespectful. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, th there was a lot of those like rumors going around because uh, we were one of the bands. I don't want to say one of the first bands, but we were one of the bands that broke out of the scene and we didn't break out of the scene because we went from selling 100 records to 100 million records 
like we were making it, but it wasn't like we were Green Day where next thing you know, we're playing to 200,000 people at Lollapalooza or something. We were just, we got to that next level and then things started to kind of happen for us. And yes, you release a record and because you have a record label behind you, your videos are going to get on MTV, at least for a little while, you're going to get played on the radio. But we we were so, yeah, worried is a word, uh, is a good word, but we were so just aware of what was happening and we wanted to make sure that people that were fans of our band were real fans because we were always thinking about five years from from then if for some reason the radio stopped playing us and MTV stopped playing us which ironically is kind of what's happened I mean MTV's not around and the radio doesn't really play us at all we wanted to make sure people would still want to come see us and not just be like yeah I remember you you had the one song or I loved your first record but then it all you know sucked after that because it was just whatever the label wanted you to do so we wanted to stay genuine as much as we could because we really were genuine people like we've always written our own songs we've never been that band that just does what people say because of an image or this or that. And, you know, we, we had our phases where it was like, well, maybe we should see if we can play the radio game a little more or play the label game. And, and no, it never really worked out. And it never really works out for a band like that because we're not fake. We can't tomorrow turn into stars. I, I mean, we've literally had people tell us that kind of stuff. Like, that's what's missing from you if you wanted to get to that next level is none of us are like, I can't walk around with a stick up my ass like, you know, hot shit. I can't because I'm just a normal person. And it's detrimental in some sense. There's probably 10 million records that I missed out on selling because none of us in the band can really ever do that. But at the same time, I have a career now 25 something years later that a lot of those bands, even that sold 10 times what we did, aren't here anymore. Right, man. Well, if that makes sense. It makes total sense, dude. And I mean, first of all, you deserve everything you got. You guys are an amazing band and you're smart. Like you said, you were thinking five years ahead and you just, you know, really genuine good dudes who make killer songs. You stay relevant, you know, whether it's your own albums and the covers and you guys, are just, I, you know, even just like working side by, I'm looking at your merch and I'm like, these guys, just every, the VIP thing, you just do a lot of things right. You're professionals and who happen to be good dudes who got this success. I just hate to think that in the back of your mind or you know maybe the the other guys as well just like ruined isn't the right word but it's just almost like you can't fully enjoy it because like I don't know, I don't know if it's because the haters or whatever it just just to hear that I'm like dude I want to see you embrace it you deserve it does that make sense yeah and I I think how do I say that like it's not ruined for any of us it's never been ruined for any of us uh, if there were haters the haters were at a time when we were first getting popular and those haters they're not there anymore they couldn't last why because they had to go back to their normal jobs and do their normal lives and they don't have enough uh there's not enough time and or energy in the world to hate that much on somebody when it's not even like real hate you're just doing it because everybody else is doing it right yeah it's easy for us to again and i said this now a couple times to appreciate and really just understand how massive of a thing our career is and how special and important it is to not only ourselves, but to everybody that has, uh, you know, experienced us, whether it's been one show, one album, or an entire career. You know, this is just something that none of us expected to take off. None of us expected to have it last for so long, and it is still continuing. And in a lot of ways, it's getting even bigger than it was before. It might not be plastered all over the radio and MTV, but for a career to sustain 
sustain itself this long and still be successful and to be able to go out and play a show outside the Palladium, you know, as at 25 years after you're a band to have thousands of people and not just a couple hundred. It's awesome. And I think we run our band that way. The bond that we have as a band is stronger now than it's ever been because we all understand that. And we just continually uh, keep seem we seem to do the right things to make this you know, work for everybody. Testament to all the guys that are, you know, in our band together and everybody that we surround ourselves with, our crew and management. You know, a lot of these people have been with us for our entire career. Our booking agent has been our booking agent for 22 years. Our manager we have now, she was our manager 20 years ago. And for, uh, except for maybe nine years out of the 25 years, she's been our manager. You know, like we we have these people that uh, just always are part of the family and it really does feel like a family. Uh, quickly, I might as well throw that shout out to Brian Ward that you mentioned earlier, who is a tech. He's teched with us for a long time. Uh, he does now still randomly do it. And um, I know he was part of the main reason why this connection happened here. And he said great things about podcasts. And I believe he was a uh, guest on your podcast as well. So thank you, Brian, for, for yeah. that. And uh, I'll have a Coke Zero in his honor later tonight because he'll understand that. There's a little inside joke between me and him for that. Nice. Yeah. Big shout out to Brian Ward. He's definitely the reason you and I are chatting right now. And yeah, I did an interview with him. I haven't put it out yet because i'm waiting until um he gets he's doing uh you know his, his music thing yeah so i want to yeah. we want to time time that to, no it's all good man um but yeah it was a really wonderful conversation and it's, it's going to be a great episode uh, but yeah just timing that with the uh the release of his new music just so can people can check that out but going back to i i said the word ruined before that was poor word choice on my part but you you brought it home for me you you know what i was trying to say yeah i just see you guys as leaders in the scene man like i i keep bringing up the same examples like you guys uh, i look at dashboard that way or jimmy world and you know you guys are kind of in my mind this is just me talking but i'm sure a lot of people would agree definitely you guys are like like i kind of see you guys as like the king of pop punk and i see like caraba is like the king of emo um and stuff you know whatever it's just I just think it's great, and I just – you deserve everything you got, man. Um, You mind if I – I don't want to, like, keep you too long. Do you have time for a few fan questions? Is that cool, man? Yeah. Keep it going. I really appreciate this, dude. This is awesome talking to you. Okay, cool. So we got a few questions from that Furnace Fest group that I mentioned. This is from Tom Overhaul. So Tom would like to ask, with you being a solid inspiration uh, for so many drummers in the genre, who are some of your favorites, and what are your thoughts on – how they and their bands have evolved the pop punk, pop punk slash easy core sound. Okay, great question. Thank you, Tom, for that. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously been in this band for 25 years. I've been a drummer for about 28 years, which is weird because I didn't like start as a drummer. I started as a guitar player, but I came up like anybody else around that time, the late 90s, early 2000s. It definitely, it's impossible to be in a pop punk band and not cite people like Travis Barker and and Trey Cool from Green Day as uh, drum inspirations. I mean, they were just doing things, Travis especially, like just innovation everywhere, right? And nobody can really keep up with him. I feel like he always feels like he has to do something new first and then other people try and copy it. And I'm guilty of trying to do that myself, right? But uh, uh, Trey Cool, I think, doesn't, he's underappreciated as a drummer. And we were fortunate 
enough to tour with Green Day on their American Idiot album cycle back in 2004. And I mean, that was, we still say, is the best tour we've ever been on. I saw you guys. We, I think you did the Worcester Centrum Center on that run. We did, across the street from the show. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to be with that band and just to experience them, if you want to talk about an inspiration of how to be a professional band and also how to be a band that is big as shit, but still be super down to earth, that is Green Day. 100%. So uh, big ups to Trey for being awesome along with the the Billy Joe and, and Mike, but also as a drummer, he's underrated. Just great dude. I have some inspirations that are a little unconventional. I know this is kind of off topic for the for the question, but I do have some other punk inspirations I might as well just throw out there now. Like I was a massive Lagwagon fan. I still am. Uh, Dave Ron, their drummer, is is sick. Uh, just a master at what he does. But even bands like, like, like MXPX, Yuri from MXPX is a machine. And uh, for him to be able to play the speed that he can play, just out of control then it goes into stuff like i was a i don't want to say metalhead right but i i started i started playing guitar first before i started playing before i played drums and so when i crossed over to playing drums i was all about metal specifically metallica and pantera and because i was so familiar with that music couldn't help but just like that's what i went to play drums to first because i knew the music so much like i said so um you know vinnie paul pantera i want to say massive influence i obviously don't play anything like him but just he was he was such a great drummer. I hate me if you wanna. I don't care. Lars like holds it down as a drummer. And yes, you know they're all aging, but they put on a sick show. I haven't seen Metallica in years, but I I don't know anybody who goes to a Metallica show even now and doesn't say it was amazing, right? And that does it. Lars is up there doing it now at whatever age he is. Like I, he's sick too. Metallica's a great band. And then radio stuff from the '90s. So it's a long answer, I know, but it's everywhere. I'm influenced by everything I see around me. And radio stuff is huge. Like the grunge alternative era for me, again, coming from guitar, I knew all those songs on guitar, but then I also was so familiar with them that playing drums to them, it just was second nature. So like Rage Against the Machine, I love to jam some rage on drums. Pearl Jam, yes, a little bit. I'll play that more on guitar than anything. But even a band like Incubus, I was all about three. I'm a massive 311 fan. Chad Sexton, their drummer, insane. And that stuff doesn't necessarily spill over into what I do, but maybe a gives me a little just extra kind of you know inspiration when i'm writing something with newfound dude that was an awesome answer okay and all that's important man uh i just recently spoke with aaron david tate he was uh the drummer for minus the bear mm-hmm. and their record mano cell also one of my favorite records of all time great record yeah and, yeah dude and you know hindsight's 2020 but when i'm talking to him he was like, yeah, like my influences are like Justin Timberlake and like Dr. Dre and like Daft Punk. And it's like, I'm a little slow at times, but I was like, oh, like, just thinking back on like all the songs, I'm like, that totally makes sense. So all yeah. that's all that's really important, dude. Do you still play guitar? Yes, I do. In fact, uh, ironically, in the last like two years, I've gotten more involved with the guitar with Newfound. You briefly spoke about us doing the VIP things, and that's something that a lot of bands are doing now. And so we don't shy away from it and we don't like our vip experience we call it an experience we don't like the vips to just be like a picture and a quick high and that's it because yes you do charge more for that so we we always try to have some cool items that people get some exclusive things but we usually do some kind of like sound check party and or a performance and recently it's been a lot of acoustic stuff a lot of our songs it's hard to translate them acoustically but uh we try and sometimes we end up like literally re kind of arranging it for acoustic or playing it different and it's been a huge success but we now only have one guitar player, which is Chad. A lot of times we'll bring somebody on tour as a second guitar player. But the band, knowing that I can play guitar, turned to me and said, and I've never really played drums on acoustic stuff. It just doesn't work. I'm not going to play better 
off dead super fast with acoustics. So they were like, hey, do you want to play some acoustic? And I was like, sure. And so I've started to do that now. And so I'll take up a second guitar and play these acoustic things. And it's it's crazy because I don't think the guys in the band remember. It'll be like 10 minutes before a VIP performance or before some performance, they'll be like, we should do this song. And everybody's like, okay, cool. And then in my head, I'm like, dude, I have literally never played this song on guitar. <laughs> never. Like I can figure it out. I do pretty well just because, again, I'm familiar with it or something, but I've never played this song. Like, you got to give me a minute. I don't know how it goes. T Chad, you got to teach it to me, you know, and we've done that and it's worked out. But yeah, those are nerve wracking times, but I like it. That's so funny, dude. I bet that kind of like expands your mind and, and kind yeah. of helps you as a drummer in a way. You know what I'm saying? It can. Yeah. And um, I think it's just it's always been this connection. Uh, Ian and I, Ian, our bass player, and I, I think we we definitely lock in a lot live. And, uh, you know, I think all of us, we have everybody compliments us on how tight we are. But Chad does his thing on stage and he's no no stranger to just like stopping playing and putting his mic out there or whatnot. So sometimes it might come off the rails a little bit or maybe he's too busy jumping or somebody threw a hat from the crowd and he takes it and uses it as a pick like you can't sound perfect with that but ian and i have this connection uh it's that bass you know drummer thing that the rhythm section that holds it down and definitely it's over 20 something years you just work on it without even knowing you're working on it and uh you can never replace that totally man yeah i have a random question right so if you were to like pull up your spotify if you use spotify or whatever yeah. Like, what are the, maybe pick three bands that are your, because I go through phases, right? So, like, three bands that I'm, like, psycho into these days. Like, I, I'm on a boys to men kick. Like, I can't shake it. Yeah, boys to men, Cast Iron Hike. I don't know if you remember them. Yeah. Uh, Jake Brennan uh, and the early November. So, I'm just like, oh, awesome. those three bands, like, right now, and, and say anything. What are you into at this moment in time? So, I'm... Uh... Uh, just like I was that guy that back in the day was a radio person or whatever, you know, fault me if you want to, but I like other people making decisions for me sometimes. When we were t first touring and I would drive the van all the time, I was that guy that took first shift overnight. I would uh, I would play Enema of the State every single night. Um, I would play usually a Mill and Collin record, probably Penny Bridge Pioneers at that time, and maybe Goldfinger record. Like just, I had my staples, Lagwagon, things like that. But nowadays on Spotify, I... I try to expand my horizons and I do that through playlists. I think their curated playlists are pretty good. I listen to the all the, the pop punks not dead playlist, you know, and I listen to I think they have one called The Scene, which also crosses over into us as well, uh, or new punk tracks. So I couldn't even tell you a lot of the bands that come on, but I, I get familiar with those kind of things. And then uh, but I'll put on the top 40 too, because I like and I appreciate that a guilty pleasure of mine from the last few years, Justin Bieber's last record, just home run every single song that came out was so catchy. And before you know it, it's totally stuck in your head. Huge fan of The Weeknd as well. My kids even love The Weeknd and one of our old guitar techs works for the weekend now, which I thought was, that's kind of a cool little thing. My younger brother is also in the music industry as well. And he just did a song with Post Malone and the weekend he produced oh, wow. and co-wrote it called, yeah, I think it's called uh, one right now. Rad. He also, he also worked on that song that everybody probably loves to hate from a few years back. The little Nas X remix with Billy Ray Cyrus. My brother uh, mixed, recorded and mixed that song. So he was nominated for a Grammy wow. and everything. That's a side note. Yeah. I got a that's Grammy so nominated cool. brother in here. Who's arguably in some senses more popular and, and more well-known in the music industry than I am right now. Let's see. Band, uh, bands, though, I'll quickly just tell you some random bands I've listened to recently. Um, that la that last Turnstile record, I know it's bandwagon to say it or whatever. So We've good. known Turnstile for a long time, right? So We've known good. him from the Trap 
Trapped Under Ice days, the, those dudes that are in the, the you know, the, the Trapped Under Ice hardcore band, and we toured with them. Um, but their last record is awesome. And something a lot of people don't know, and I think this is super cool, and I haven't really had a chance to talk to them because uh, it was released during COVID, and I, we only saw one of them during one of our shows, uh, one of the guys. Their last record was produced by a guy named Mike Elizondo. And I don't know what Mike Elizondo has done recently, but I do know where I know that name. He was a producer and bass player for most of Dr. Dre's stuff mm-hmm. way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was amazing to see his name. And I was so curious when I heard that he was working on this record. And then you can kind of hear a little bit of like some of the tracks and percussion that's going on on that record. I don't know if the Turnstile guys thought of that themselves or if that was Mike. But I think it's pretty awesome because that is such an uncanny connection. That's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because so when we did Furnace Fest Piebald, we drove, uh, myself, Andy, and Luke drove from Boston down to Florida, and then Travis and Aaron flew in from other parts of the country. But I guarantee you just earned major brownie points with the Furnace Fest group because they're all obsessed with Turnstile. Yeah. And uh, so, but the Pieball guys hadn't heard of Turnstile. They didn't really know. So, you know, we're driving across the country. I was like, we should listen to Turnstile. You guys should hear this record. So while we're listening to it, Andy looked up, uh, what was his name? I'm sorry. Mike, Mike Elizondo. And he's like, oh, he's just like doing the homework. And he's like, this guy, like, worked with Dr. Dre and like Eminem and yeah, like yeah. all these, we were all like, whoa, but yeah, what a record, man. Um, yeah. Those guys, I don't know, I just feel like they're, they're kind of taking the, the torch right now, like just keeping like rock and roll going in, in a lot of big ways. And it's just, it's really important. They're crushing it. I think they're going on Jimmy Kimmel at some point this week. I saw something like that and yeah good for them you know they're rad they're awesome yeah no they deserve it and they're pushing the envelope which is really cool because a lot of bands try that and it just uh, falls flat in their face but they're doing something different and and it's appreciative and they're getting you know people like your rolling stones and stuff to notice which is kind of cool i mean rolling stone the magazine not the not the band but yeah i think it's pretty awesome to uh to you know just come out of this world especially the hardcore world and to see where they are now like that's super cool um one more album i'll, I'll throw out there and i uh, Actually, I've only listened to it one time all the way through, but that's because it kind of just came out as well. The new Dashboard record. I was, I knew you were going to say that. I've yeah. already listened to it three or four times. It's so good. It's yeah, incredible. I, was, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised because that makes it seem like I didn't have good expectations going in. But what I was pleasantly surprised about was uh, uh, the production. Uh, James Wisner, James Paul Wisner, I think he goes by, produced that record. And uh, I believe mixed it, or at least what I can see on Spotify. Uh, James Wisner, there's Florida roots there. He actually recorded the first few Newfound Glory demos that I ever played on. And he came out of South Florida and he's done a lot of crazy things. But the Dashboard record is super cool. The songs are great, but I like how it's not really a full band. I mean, I think there's one or two tracks that have like drums. It's back to kind of Chris's roots where it's just one or two acoustics and him. And there's not much going on. And I thought it was great. I thought it was cool, like, to bring it back. Dude, you said it better than I could. Uh, I watched them on Jimmy Kimmel the other night. It was the same day the record came out, actually, I believe. Yeah. Cause so, so I, like, listened to the record twice, watched them on Kimmel. And it was, like, 2 in the morning. I couldn't help. I was just, like, feeling euphoric or something. Because, you know, like, doing a tour, you, ha- you have that bond. with. I sent him an email. I was like, dude, this is, like, the best stuff you've ever put out. Like, you're, you're the fucking man. I was just, like, so happy. <laughs> that record, it sounds just like... Like you said, the back in the day stuff. I really think I will continue to listen to that. It's it's amazing. Agreed. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Great record. Otherwise, uh, I don't know. Tomorrow I'll probably like put on Metallica discography and just listen through. Nice. Just for fun. I- I'll do that kind of stuff randomly. Yeah, dude. I dig it. Cool, man. Awesome. All right. Next 
question here. Preston Gazetta would like to know, I usually ask this too, so this is great. What are some uh, weird pre-show rituals you and or the band uh, do before a set? Uh, I'll just kind of name or talk about what we do. I don't know what's weird. People can make their own conclusions there. Um, you know, I'm a drummer, and if you've ever seen us play or seen me play, it's definitely not slow music, so I'm pretty active up there, and I'm not growing any younger by the day, so try to stay fairly strict about making sure I stretch before every show. As boring as that sounds, it's important, and, you know, that'll take up 30 minutes to almost an hour before the show, but it also serves as a way to kind of focus, calm yourself and get into, you know, your job. That is your job. The days of us trying to hang out with fans and and yeah, I'll have a couple beers here and there. Like, I don't even do that anymore. I used to maybe drink one or two beers before I went on stage. I won't even do that because I have a job to do and my job is to put on the best show I can for the hour and a half that we play every single night. Um, if I'm going to, you know, relax or, or drink or whatever, that's all after the show now. But yeah, so before the show it's like 30 minutes to an hour of stretching, getting some like warm-ups going on my practice pad and like I said mentally just going you know or, or focusing one weird thing that we do that I don't know a lot of bands that do is and and it's usually it's myself and Ian but the rest of the guys will join in like we'll always kind of rally each other and be like hey is it, is it time we go over the set list and it's weird because we're not the Grateful Dead or uh, Springsteen or even like Pearl Jam that like legit changes the set list every night recently even for the last few years we kind of don't change the set list at all and a lot of that is because we have a second guitarist with us that is not an original member so they only have a specific catalog of songs they know uh, so you can't just throw curveballs at them but we'll go over the set list and I equate it to this it's almost like if uh, if you've ever watched I grew up my, my dad was a, a snow skier downhill skier uh, he was a tennis player and he loved downhill skiing even though I lived in South Florida but he would always watch skiing on TV it's like the most boring sport to watch on TV you're just waiting for somebody to fall and, and die or you know hurt themselves but you would see these people before before they got out of the gate up at the top of the mountain and they would have their eyes closed I mean maybe you didn't see it because the helmet but they would be like moving back and forth and what they're doing is they're, they're mentally they're going down the hill and they know like they can tell you what turn comes where we do that in a sense with our set list which is what we do is we basically have a set list in front of us our tour manager will always have to print an extra copy and keep it backstage and we will go through it and we will basically just talk about the intros and the the, the like exits or transitions between songs because those are the things that do end up changing but we want to remind ourselves because if we add something maybe you want to add an extra little hit here or go to this note you want to tell everybody so everybody's you know in, in agreement and knows and even for jordan who doesn't play an instrument he's got to know so he doesn't necessarily start a song early or whatever so we do that and ian and i are the ones who are like no matter what we're going to make sure that happens whether or not everybody else is paying attention like we'll kick everybody out of the room just to go through the set and we will not get on stage until we do that so if a show is a couple minutes late sometimes it's because we're going through the set backstage right before we get on stage but it's for the good of the show right totally you just and then prepared. i'll go out there and like third song I'll, I'll count in i won't look down and like i'll play the wrong song it happens like once a tour and, and i could literally kill somebody when that happens because i know it's my fault that i didn't look down at my set list or randomly we will catch that a tour manager screwed up because we changed a set and they like printed the wrong file for somebody because also some of us have different size sets like um ian likes to have sets that are large and on legal paper and two of them and he will make the fonts bigger so he can just see but then i'm it's unfair advantage for me i'm sitting down and i'm closer to the floor so i'm like i don't need all that 
I don't even have space for two pieces of paper. Just give me a letter, eight and a half by 11, and you can shrink the font. I don't care. And I'll make notes if I need to or whatever. So we have different sets and I'm sure it's a tour manager nightmare. You would might attest to that. And we've had we've had the screw ups occasionally. Yeah, man, I'm very like lucky. I and mean, the Pieball guys, they're, they're all pretty easy going. Like if anything, I'm like, you sure you don't need anything? Because I always um, dress the stage, they call it before, yeah. which means like, you know, I'll put a couple of waters next to Luke, maybe a beer. I give Aaron a couple of waters, Andy, whatever, Travis a beer towels all that stuff set list like everything you just said but i'm kind of spoiled because i know like when i go work with someone else it's gonna be they're just like wicked easy going like i'm yeah. like travis what you he'll be like oh uh yeah i mean sure if you want to put out a beer thank you he's just like they're all just so appreciating it yeah. he's not expecting it and, and that was one of the cool things about matt that we we uh, spoke about earlier and uh him working with us on this last tour it was like the thing where if he noticed that you were eating only red m&ms he would give you only red m&ms none of us do that but it was one of those things it's like like uh, kind of finding the solution to an issue before it even was an issue or, or uh, an answer to a question before you even ask it. And uh, we, we definitely said after that tour, like we are totally spoiled because I don't know if he'll be available for our next tour or what the situation is. And if we don't have him, people are going to, it's going to be a wake up call <laughs> to be like, yeah, you, you got to make sure that maybe you order your own food tonight because he did it for you last tour and he's not here or something. Exactly. This I'm sure not that you don't appreciate and recognize things, but just for me being in the the same position, I'm always like, tr I try to be like five steps ahead. And it can be a thankless job and I love it. You know what I mean? But like, I just know sometimes this stuff, I'm like, they don't even know I did that, but that tells me I like, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. They shouldn't have to think about this stuff. And Matt is, I, I could just see it, man. Cause like, you know, I, I observe that stuff. And um, again, it's, it's the attention to detail and the work ethic and it's, and it's thoughtful. Like the M&M is just an example, but it's just, again, dude, he showed up. I didn't even, I didn't even see him. And he's like, Hey buddy, Dana, how you doing? Beer? Like, Whoa. Where'd you come yep. from? What a gentleman. Yeah, you know, it was great. That's he yeah. is. And that's, uh, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. He's, that guy's going places. I'll tell you. Totally. He's awesome. All mm -hmm. right, man. So I have a question um, from Caitlin Sullivan. I believe this is the last fan question. Um, she says, uh, first of all, she has seen you every single show you've done in Orlando from 2001 to 2017. And that's a lot. Yeah. And she was like, there's a lot of like one off. She's like, I was at them all. Also, um, what she wants to know, how have y'all managed to not get stagnant or boring especially live after being a band for so long um i think it's mainly it's kind of an easy answer we enjoy playing our songs we enjoy playing our songs and um we're very fortunate that people that go to our concerts want to participate and they want to go off just as hard as we do sometimes even more and so, uh, especially in a place like Orlando and, and, you know, we're from Florida, so there's always some like kind of hometown extra little spirit going on there. You know, we, we, we just recognize it and we feel it when we're up there. And so whether it's a song like Hit or Miss uh, from our self-titled record or, and even Nothing Gold Can Stay that we've played, you know, literally every single concert since 1997 or even like a newer song, I think uh, just people are into it. And there's something special about the way that uh, Chad is the one who usually kind of comes up with the set lists and now you can kind of we, we can see how over 20 years there's some staples in there right like you you mentioned the lyrics to understatement the first song off of sticks and stones earlier uh, it's funny because we don't always open up with that song but for the most part it's within the first two or three songs and when we don't open up with it and we open up with something else you can almost feel like the concert doesn't start until understatement starts because that's how like you know that that's how important of a record sticks and stones was and that's how amazing of an intro that song is but things like that like we feel that energy too 
too. So when we start understatement and it's got that little band intro and then there's that little break of just the the palmita guitar before Jordan starts singing, like the crowd erupts and I, I'll never not enjoy that. When Chad starts hit or miss, the guitar of hit or miss, I will never not enjoy the people realizing what song it is, right? Or now live 99% of the time, of course, we might not do this on this this next tour, the Sticks and Stones tour, because we're playing the album in full. But My Friends Over You is usually our last song. And the way that we started is Jordan, it's a call and response. And Jordan will, will you know, sing, though you swear that you are true and have the crowd sing, I still pick My Friends Over You. Like it will give me goosebumps for that half second. And then I got to go into playing drums. But we, we love playing our songs so much that's why it never gets stagnant and then we'll always sprinkle in things here and there whether it's throughout a tour playing a random song or digging something deep out of the vault or doing special things like even on this uh, tour last fall we had a couple shows that were self-titled anniversary shows where we played our self-titled record all the way through because last year um you know was the uh was like the 20th anniversary of, of of that of that album. So doing these anniversary tours is also something that makes it not stagnant. We get to kind of play different shows, different venues, different set lists all the time. It's awesome. It really is. That's beautiful, man. You still truly enjoy these songs and playing these songs. Kind of going back, you said something about me like kind of being the hype man or whatever earlier. Same vibe, man. People ask me, they're like, how do you get in the zone to like do that? Like your energy. I'm like, this is my favorite band. And I love hearing these songs every night. There's, yeah. and, and that comes through. It's just, it's sincere, man. Like you, you can't fake that shit, you know? So yeah. that's rad. That's really, that's a awesome answer. All right, dude, I have a question. After being a band for 25 years, what do you find for you personally is your biggest challenge? Maybe being on the roadway from your family or, you know what I mean? Just whatever um, would be the biggest challenge for you. That That's a huge part, being away from the family. COVID, it was really weird with that because a lot of musicians agreed. It was a blessing in disguise because you got to spend time with your family, uninterrupted time than you ever had. Of course, under weird circumstances and a lot of people, you couldn't do the things that you normally would do. But it is tough because... We all have kids now. As kids get older, there are milestones that you might miss. I find myself a lot of times, like now, if one of those situations, the conflict arises where it's like you have to make a choice, are you going to do a tour? Are you going to be able to see the first day of school or something like that? Now I realize that like 10 years ago, like Ian's got some older children. He has he has teenagers now. And it's like, I wasn't even thinking about that 10, 15 years ago. I was like, no, go, go, go. Oh, you want to go to like Switzerland and play a show? I, I'll do it. How, how come you don't want to do it, Ian? And he tried to explain, but I don't. And so I almost feel bad now, you know, trying to make those decisions back in the day and now obviously realizing. So yeah, the family thing, I think, I mean, unless you're on that level where you're flying your family everywhere in private jets or you all have your own buses, that is the biggest sacrifice that anybody can make as a touring musician is that you have to give up your home life. And it's really, really hard. I think we've found, I don't want to say perfect, it's not a perfect balance, but the best balance that we can, and we're constantly tweaking it. Perfect example is what we're trying to do now on the Sticks and Stones tour this summer and seeing if it works to do two different legs with a little bit of a break in between to allow us to kind of not go too long uninterrupted with our family. But, you know, you just, it's sacrifices that we make, our family makes them as well. And, um, you know, we've had an amazing career having to do these sacrifices and you hope that you can continue to do it. Uh, but it it probably won't get any easier. It's only going to get harder, you know. And luckily, when we're up on stage for the hour and a half, you can usually, as a band member, put anything aside and just focus on how amazing it is to be playing. But sometimes you have to go on stage five minutes after hearing about something that happened at home where, you know, your wife or significant other is just dealing with way too much stuff with kids or you get off stage and hear about how 
involved, there's all the stuff that has to happen or that you missed or whatever. It sucks. That 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 really does suck. Yeah, man. Definitely it comes with the territory, right? It's tough. But yeah, I guess just like any job, like I bartend or whatever, and no matter what kind of day I'm having, I have to be a professional and I have to check my problems at the door and because I got a job to do. But we're all human. Easier said than done sometimes for sure, man. Yeah. Uh, all right, dude. You mentioned traveling, Switzerland. If you pretend the pandemic never existed for a second, just for the sake of this question. If you had to like drop everything right now and like move somewhere. Australia. Why? Yeah, I, I mean, Japan would be a close second. I The only reason why I wouldn't say Japan is the language barrier. Uh, we're spoiled because every time we've been there, which has been at least half a dozen, if not more, we always have like interpreters with us, right? Or record label people or promoters that show us everything and do anything you need. That's not reality. Australia, honestly, I would move there in a heartbeat. Um, I'll, I'll admit that I actually even started looking into it a little bit during the pandemic, like right when it went down. But it's, it, it, I don't think it's something that's realistic or any of that stuff. It's just, I love that country so much. We've been there a couple times. I, here, I'll tell you this. My wife loves Australia. She's never even been there. <laughs> but it's like she would move tomorrow. My kids love Australia. Even like there, there's a there's a show called Bluey. That's a cartoon that's on, on TV right now called Bluey. That's about these Australian dogs. And it's one of the best shows ever. If you're a parent, you it's really awesome. And even if you're not, I think it's super funny for, for adults. Uh, it's based in Australia. And my kids talk about going there all the time. And like, I'm so, I'm so bummed that I cannot just get up and go there right now. Or like, we can't have shows there right now because everybody's still figuring out this pandemic. And I'm so excited to be able to go back down there whenever that happens. And I don't care what amount of money we're being paid. I'm getting my family there. So I will probably lose money on those shows just to make sure that my family can get there. And hopefully, hopefully we come back, but we might not. We might just stay there. It's a beautiful place. Melbourne, Australia. Dude, that's rad, man. And it's, it's San Diego, but with people with accents and it's super cool. It's on my list. I definitely dread the flight. I hate flying just from Boston to LA. I'm like, get me off this plane. So yeah. I dread that part, but I know it'll be worth it. It's definitely on my list. And the only thing that I dread aside from the flight, even more so is dude, like, well, first of all, Every Australian I've ever met is they're they're always the funniest people. So I don't know, they yeah. remind me of like Boston people, but like funnier with accents, kinda of like you said. Yeah. But it's like the big spiders and stuff, man. You ever have like a an experience like that? Does that freak you out? Uh, yeah, I never had any experience with spiders, but I will tell you, uh, it's Adelaide, I believe. Uh, first off, I don't understand Adelaide. It's a city like in the south center of of Australia. Their time zone is thirty minutes back from like Melbourne or whatever that the next time time zone is. And don't do that to me. That doesn't make sense. I don't know why they did that. Right. Uh, but second, I will never forget Adelaide because in Australia as a band, you can't take a bus, right? Because the distances between major cities, like we're not a band who's going to go play some random back, you know, country city. It's the big ones, the Sydney's, the Melbourne's, Adelaide, uh, Perth, if you dare, because it takes you, uh, you know, it's like a nine hour flight or eight hour flight to get there. But big cities, you fly everywhere. So I just will remember always in Adelaide, when you get out of the airplane in the airport and you're outside, just flies, just attacked by flies. It's like you're on a farm the whole time. And I don't know why. It's just something about the climate down there, right? It's also cool about Australia. Most of the time that we tour there, we tour there in like December, January, which is their summer. It is kind of cool to go to Australia and even South America and to be able to travel the world like that because you can like get your schedule so that you stay within a certain season almost the entire time, right? But yeah, it's 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 a super cool place. You know, I don't mind like snakes and stuff like that. The, the thing that just gets me, actually, Dan, Dan O'Connor, four years strong, I, I, I always ask about 
when Australia comes up, I have to ask about the spiders and stuff just because I'm trying to prep myself for when I go there one day. But he is like, yeah, dude, we were at, was it Bombay Beach or Bombay? Bondi. Bondi Beach, yeah. That one. Thank you. Out out, out of Sydney. He was like, dude, we walked through this like kind of like, I don't know, some sort of tunnel-y thing that had leaves on it and stuff. Jake told me the same story from Four Years Strong. They were walking through this little thing. They're like, oh, this is a little beautiful spot. Why doesn't anybody come over here? Someone sneezed or coughed and like just like all these like spiders, like literally like the size of their face or their hand. Just they like hood up, turn around, just like ran at her. Like (laughs) that stuff freaks me out. And I have some friends from Australia. They'll send me because they know it freaks me out. They'll send me pictures of spiders in their house. And it's of course they do. (laughs) Cause they, yeah. Cause they know it gets, it gets to me. But anyway, I I still don't do it. uh, If not Australia, Hawaii would be a close second. If you want me to stay domestic, I guess. Hawaii is a beautiful place as well. And we don't go there often enough. That's also on my list. Has Newfound Glory played all 50 states? Yes, we have. Yeah, yep, We checked check that one off the list. Uh, the last one that we played was Alaska. And we did one of those, uh, it was like a warp road to warp tour shows. Uh, this would have been like eight, nine years ago. Less than Jake again. But yeah, we checked Alaska off and we've now done all 50 states. Rad. I think that's yeah. the only one Piebald hasn't done. I know Travis did it with like a solo project. All right. Uh, actually, do you mind, before I forget, Piebald, man, 20-year anniversary for the magical record, We Are the Only Friends We Have, and they love their memories with Newfound Glory. I, I've heard of the Saves a Day, Newfound Glory, uh, Piebald stuff from like 99, and anything that comes to mind, you know, whether it was touring with those guys or whether you have a favorite song on that record or just anything that people would love to hear about. Uh, yeah, lots of stuff. I mean, I'll start with just, uh, it was super fun for us to tour with Piebald because when we would play shows with them at that time, this is like late 90s, we were the small band. We were the band that was opening up and we were just so excited to be playing shows with bigger bands, bands we knew of, right? Pieball was on Big Wheel Recreation back at the time. The record before were the only friends, but that's the Venetian Blinds record. Dude, we jammed that record all the time. And I think that's when we actually first went on tour with them was when the Venetian Blinds record was out. So, you know, it's just cool when you're on tour with a band, like you learn their songs because they play the same, a lot of times the same songs every single night. And we were playing small clubs. I'm telling you like 200, 300 people a night at the most. So there's just bonds that you form. And I will never forget Piebald had a bus, like a school bus type thing. And that's what they drove around in at that time. And we were like in a van, like a broken down uh, old conversion van. And we thought that was cool. Even though it wasn't a tour bus, like we all know what tour buses are now. This was a school bus. We thought that was like the next step, the next level. We thought that was the best thing ever was a school bus. And, and you know, now looking back, it's like I realized that those things, there's no air, no ventilation really on them or any of that kind of stuff. It would be miserable to be on one of those things. I'll never forget that. Pieball was, a, 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 I feel like they were a year or two older than us as well. And so I was born in 1980 and most of our guys in the band were about the same age. So in 99, I would have been 19 years old. And that means one or more of the pieball guys would have been 21 or up. And so, yeah, I'll definitely, uh, I got no shame in saying that I'm sure we relied heavily on them at times to, uh, you know, make sure if we wanted to have a few beers, they could help us out. Or there might be a club where we had gotten, we would get kicked out after we played because we weren't 21, but they could, they could still go hang out or something like that. That was happening a lot around that time. But to talk about the record. We're the only friends we have. There's a song, uh, what is it? Just a Simple Plan. Travis has such a cool voice, right? And it's so recognizable. And uh, Jordan, our singer, I think because he's he's a vocalist, Jordan's really good at uh, impressions. And so he would always just sing that song or at least start singing that song in Travis's voice. And he loved doing that. And like, I just have that, the sound of that engraved in my head. 
you know, and of course, just that would be one of those records that whether it was myself or one of the other guys, you would put on at like four in the morning as you're trying to make an eight hour drive just to keep you awake because you would be rocking out to it, like singing along to it. Right. But that era, that's like the 2000, this is what came out in 2002, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. So that late 90s, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, that was like the best time for us because that is right when everything was happening. When we were on tour in our van, moving into the tour buses, playing one show at Furnace Fest one day and that night playing, opening up for Blink-182 to 25,000 people. We probably took this record and like played it for the Blink guys if they didn't know who Pieball was. We were so excited to like get people into all the music that we knew about. So those are the kind of you know memories I have of the Pieball guys around that time and still so stoked to be able to share the stage with them like we did this last fall and like we're about to do with uh, Six and Stones Fest coming up here in, in June. It's so awesome, man. Very cool. And again, thank you, not only just on my behalf, but on the other dude's behalf. We were so stoked to play with you guys in Buffalo, and I know we're really stoked for this one uh, coming up in June at the Palladium. All right, I got two more, dude. I've kept you so long. I appreciate this. All good. Proudest moment of your musical career. Uh, yes, that's one of those questions that's so hard to answer. And it's almost always a different answer. You know, it's like, we've been fortunate to have so many different things happen to us throughout our career that I could like literally name you one for every couple of years or eras or things like that. Like the most recent, uh, we had a platinum record. We got a platinum record for sticks and stones, this album, but that was like a year and a half ago. It took 20 years for that record to go platinum, but it went platinum and that's insane. It was so close to it for, for 15 years, just, you know, it sold like almost 800 something thousand records by like 2004, it had already sold that, but then it takes, you know, 12 years to get past that, that million mark. But that's like a crowning achievement for any band to have a platinum record, especially a band that started in a parent's garage. That's a pop punk band. Right. Uh, But speaking of the charts, I think I will always say one of my proudest moments is when sticks and stones came out, it debuted on the Billboard Top 200 charts at number four. And I have that plaque. It's not hanging on the wall. It used to be hanging on the wall right there. It debuted at number four. And the record label made us a plaque with a picture of the charts from that day. And I found myself always just looking at the charts because if you look at, yeah, we weren't number one. It would have been awesome to be number one. But you'll you'll soon understand why it's okay. Number one was the Eminem show. Like that's the, without me, that's like Eminem's big record. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no touching. I think he was number one for, like, eight straight weeks at that point, right? Yeah, dude. Because you guys yeah. were peaking, like, this as he was pe- – Eminem was massive. Yeah, go on. Totally. Please. Yeah. Number one, Eminem. Number two, Corn. I think it was Untouchables or one of those records. I'm a massive Corn fan. A lot yeah, of people awesome. don't know. Head-on collision. There's a drum fill going into the second verse. Straight ripoff of Corn. Straight oh, ripoff. Cool. I won't tell you what song. It's on their self-titled record, the first record. Go, go figure it out. Number three was like the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack, which, the, you know, the early 2000s movie soundtracks were still massive and you couldn't touch them because they were, there was at least one song that would just blow up. So that one, I'm kind of pissed off that, that that got us. I think that was number three. If it wasn't that, it was like a one of those totally hits or now, now that's what I call music. Like one of those where it's like, oh, come on. You're stacking like 25 massive songs against us. Like that's not fair. But the point is we were number four and we sold 91,000 records records in one week, which uh, put in perspective, our self-titled record, which was a big record, it sold 5,000 copies its first week. And it was like number 198 on the charts. That was the first time we were ever on the Billboard charts. We thought it was the, the coolest thing ever that we actually ended up on the Billboard top 200. But here we are, number four. And so look, always look at that. And just to be like, look at the company and look at like, that's the top. I'm just, I'm going to call it the top. Like we were at the top. 
it's nuts. You can never wrap your head around how, even if just for that one week, because obviously the next week you're not number four, you're like, you know, drop down. Even for that one week, I was at the top of the music world in the U.S., which is practically the top of the music world in the in, in the world, you know, top of the music world in general. It's that's not as much as you want to say. I start a band to be the biggest band in the world, to be on the top of the charts. Like that's not really why you start a band. You start a band because you love playing music and you want to like play shows or whatever. It's crazy, man. That that stuff is not real. I feel like it's not real. It's so cool, but it is. man. I have it on my wall. It's so rad. Oh, first of all, congrats on the. The platinum, dude. I mean, that is a major accomplishment, especially these days, right? Yeah. You know, like people don't even buy records anymore. So, yeah. And that one feels good because, you know, if you compare streams and stuff, you should have got it a long time ago. So, that's, that's, um, like, an awesome thing. Um, that's really rad. But going back to, like, you were talking about sticks and stones. And, like, I remember when that video came out, man, it was like TRL and stuff. And, you know, what I mean, you're competing with, I don't know, like Britney Spears or Eminem and yep. just like, everyone and maybe i'm just realizing this now but there was definitely something special for me as if because i would watch mtv too uh, uh trl whatever it was after school uh, whatever i was doing i don't know but yeah i liked eminem and i like all that stuff too but there was something really rad about seeing a newfound glory pop up because it's just like oh i just saw these guys at the palladium you know what i mean yeah. and yeah. and or like that's in my cd player in my car right now so that that is really special man that's a yeah and awesome i think you, you hit it right on the on, on the head the, the nail on the head right there where people were stoked there were haters of course but a lot of people were so stoked to see us get to that because you have your britney spears that like i guess if you were growing up in wherever louisiana you might know her but otherwise nobody knew who she was you heard about her because she got on the radio and tv and all that stuff you got your eminem where same thing if you came up in the circles of detroit you knew who he was but otherwise this is dre's protege right and that's how you know him we were that band that so many people were just like, I remember seeing these guys in a club three years ago, open up for this, uh, you know, saves a day or, or face to face or whatever. Like I saw these guys grow and all of a sudden now they're on MTV and I can run to my friend or to my older brother or younger brother or whatever uh, sibling and be like, this is that band I was telling you about. Look, they're on MTV right after the 50 cent video, you know? And like, so it's cool yeah. because people did that. And then of course, from there, it, it, you know, snowballed in this whole genre. You had, not only us, but then you had your good Charlottes and your yellow cards and fallout boys. And it just got bigger and bigger until basically it became pop music. At least the big bands in our genre just took over pop as well. Yeah. It's just still nuts because again, we are the guys that none of us felt like stars. We just felt like kids that grew up and started a band and it worked right. Green day was the untouchable, but I'm sure they, and I, I, I can attest to this. They felt like that too. They still feel like that. They're not really stars. They're just like in a band that blew up. The Blink guys were even like that. I mean, they were just making jokes and it got massive, right? Totally. And we were that band too. That was just like doing what we saw, like the bands like Unwritten Law and Less Than Jake and MXPX. Like we were just trying to do what they did. But for some reason, MTV caught it at the right time and it blew so up. So rad. Yeah. yeah. I was going to bring up Blink-182 again. There's something about that sincerity that it just bleeds through, whether it's the music video or on stage at a show or just in the songs themselves. And again, like I, I love Eminem. Like I was a huge fan of him or you know, like Britney Spears, whatever. All this stuff's cool. Like um, good for them. But there was there's something extra sincere that just comes through. And like Blink-182, you just 
these three guys got in a room together. They wrote these songs and they're hilarious. And I have those DVDs still like somewhere, you know, like there's just something um, extra pure about like a newfound glory or, or like dashboard. I remember when, when he got that MTV unplugged, I was like, this is so awesome, dude. <laughs> like, this is so cool. It's still one of my favorite records. Yeah. It's just, it's just like a win for the, for the underdogs or something. I don't know. There's something yeah, magical for, for about our it. Scene. For our scene. It was a win for our scene. And we all love to, you know, congratulate, but also champion that, like, I was a part of it, right? I helped this get to where it was, which was so true that, you know, one of the reasons why we even got signed to MCA Records from Drive Through Records was because people told their friends about us. And that's how it spread. And MCA realized that. And that's where they realized that we had genuine fans. And that's where they were able to make decisions, uh, you know, with our guidance or, or input about, well, you don't need to like plaster these guys all at radio and do like the fake stuff to get them big because they have a career. So do not mess with that. And we would always tell them like, we want to be careful. We don't want to ruin this. We don't want to like just do the fake thing to try to get big because if it does doesn't work if you try to like throw the ball at the wall and see if it sticks or whatever and it doesn't you, you screwed yourself we want to just do it the right way and even if we don't get as big as we could at least we did it the right way so that hopefully you have a career in the future which is exactly what's happening now totally man and you guys just always did the right thing you always brought the right bands with you on tour which you know you're just passing it on and like you know i've discovered so many bands just going to see you guys in concert whether it was like you mentioned drive through, like you had your Finch, you're something corporate. The early November, one of my favorite bands ever. I fucking, I, yeah. and now like I text with Jeff all the time. He says hi, by the way, Jeff Cummer. He wanted yeah. to say hi. Great but dude. you know, and that's just a few examples. But yeah, and because someone did that with you, and it's just, it's really, mm-hmm. that stuff's really important, man. All right, dude, I have a question and we can wrap it up. If you could give advice to a younger version of yourself or someone, you know, in the scene up and coming, what would it be, man? What comes to mind? Uh, two part. Uh, number one would be, really just try to take it all in. It's impossible to tell somebody that and have them do it because you never know when it will end or or when it, you know, just won't be the same. And I definitely wish that I was a little more aware of what was going on in the early days versus unfortunately being a 18, 19, 20, 21 year old and just stoked that I'm not going to college when the rest of my friends are, you know, and I can play a concert and stay up till 4 and 4 a.m. or whatever. So yeah, that that would have been nice. Uh, I guess fortunately for us, there's a lot of documenting of that because of the media wanting to take pictures or, you know, you have videos and all that kind of stuff. I think the second thing would be to, if for anybody in a band, and, and nowadays, I don't know if it's as as a parent or if it's as important because it's pretty standard you really have to understand the music business i've always been i think the guy in my band that call me a drummer and i'm analytical maybe that's why but the business is important because this is a business right once you get past like playing bars on the weekend and wanting to actually do this like go on a tour or whatever it is a business and if your business is not profitable you cannot sustain it um at least once you get into the real world of mid-20s and not having parents support you or whatever but it's a business and it's a scary business and people take advantage of you and you do things like sign deals and you have to you know figure out how to sell a product whether it's your music yourself your merchandise whatnot educate yourself in that because there is so much value if you can understand that and that value can last you your entire business or decisions you make or do not make today can really come back to hurt haunt or help 5 10 15 years from now royalties are like one of the most misunderstood things ever the rights like uh, just uh 
you know, ownership of songs, masters, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of times you don't have much say because you are, when you're coming up, you are the person who is wanting to have more, you know, exposure and somebody has that exposure, be it a record label or whatnot, and they're going to give it to you, especially that's what happened throughout history with record labels, maybe not so much now because of the internet. And that's how we all had to kind of do that. But uh, it's an important thing to understand this business so that you can do what you can to sustain this as a career if that's what you want. Damn, man. You said so many really good things in there. Awesome, dude. All right. What can we plug? Newfound Glory's got the tour coming up. Whether it's Newfound Glory related or if you got anything else going on, man, go for it. All right. So uh, I'll try to keep this as short as possible. Newfound Glory, we have a tour starting May 26th at something called Breakfast, which we didn't even talk about. Super cool uh, show in Franklin, Tennessee with our good friends Further Seems Forever. I believe Chris Caraba singing for that. So that's a nice little uh, tie into the dashboard thing. Wow. For Your Strong will be on that as well and a couple other amazing acts. But that goes into our Sticks and Stones 20th anniversary tour with For Your Strong and Be Well that will go throughout the summer. Things like uh, the Sticks and Stones Fest in Worcester with Piebald joining us. Special events in that Atlantic City Beer and Fest, uh, Beer and Music. I probably got that wrong. There's a festival in Atlantic City that's also in there with some cool bands. We got some other great things happening this fall, like Furnace Fest, like the Emo's Not Dead Cruise as well. And then um, I'll tell you in a few weeks from now, I'm getting together with the guys and we're going to record some music. So that's about as much as I will say with that. Uh, but you will probably see that or hear that, I should say, later after all this touring is done. So that's in the pipeline. And then I'll quickly bring it back to myself. You know, when I'm not doing the newfound thing, I have a YouTube page that I'm trying to be pretty active on. I post drum cam videos every single Monday. I have actually started it in the pandemic and I am now going on to, I believe I'm video close to 100 now. So two years of it, every Monday, drum cam videos from 98% of them are newfound shows. I did sprinkle in a Goldfinger and Yellow Card show there because I have played with those guys before as well. But you'll get those every Monday. The YouTube channel is just Cyrus Baluki. It's pretty easy. That's also my social. That's your Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Those are my handles. Um, I'm into production and stuff. I do that randomly. We'll work on things here and there. And um, I'm a real estate agent as well. That's a whole other podcast that we could talk about. But I do that on my free time or sometimes and a lot of times ends up happening while I'm on tour. So definitely closed two houses while I was on that fall tour. One of them being uh, our bass player helped him out with, uh, with selling his home while we were gone. Never stepped foot in that house while it was on the market um, until the closing date when we got back. But that's what I do. Wow, man. The drum videos are rad. So I'll put the links to all this stuff in the description of the podcast episode. Open invitation to come. If you want to come back and talk real estate, whatever, man. This has truly been an honor, a pleasure. You're a gentleman and just a rad dude and a legend. So sincerely, man, um, this means a lot to me just as a fan and just someone who likes to have a good conversation. So well, thank you. you're awesome, man. Thank you so much, Cyrus. Of course. Anytime. Let's wrap this one up, baby. Come on. Yes. Cyrus Baluki, drummer of Newfound Glory. Thank you so much, brother. That was an honor. I really appreciate you taking the time to have that rad conversation with me, dude. You're a legend. And so is Newfound Glory, right? Enough said there. And um, 
One last shout out to my man, Brian Ward. Thanks for making that connection, dude. Brian is a really rad guitar tech and just an awesome dude. He's got a band himself. You're going to hear more about that in a couple of weeks and plenty more exciting things happening here at the Two Week Notice Podcast. So hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And it's super helpful if you hit me with a five-star written review. Much appreciated. Let's close this one out. Until next time, I love you all. Poise. Oh,